You ready, Scotty? I'm good to go. All right. So this is the Dynasty Movement podcast series. Tonight we have something a little bit different. Uh, we have Scotty Nose and Diablogado here. Uh, we are attorneys. I do criminal defense. I was a former prosecutor in the Houston area. Uh, Scotty Nose handles sexual harassment cases uh, and other various things. So I'll let him talk about his area of law. Uh, but we're going to be talking about, obviously, a sensitive subject tonight. Uh, the Deshaun Watson allegations are clearly uh, difficult to discuss, and we're going to be trying to do so in a very respectful way. But obviously, you've got some decisions to make on your teams, whether or not this is potentially a buying or selling opportunity. Uh, we'll talk about some of the past players, what they have faced over the course of time, uh, why this case might be slightly different, et cetera. So, Scotty, tell, tell everyone about yourself. Yeah, my name's Scotty Nose. Uh, I'm a Maryland attorney, went to Georgetown Law. I primarily do employment litigation. Uh, sexual harassment cases are kind of encompassed within that. This is a bit different because it's not exactly the same in the employment context, and I'll talk about that a bit as we get into the questions. But I do have a lot of just basic civil litigation experience, which I think will be useful just in you know, sifting through everything that's in this case. Absolutely. And and all that is pending right now, just so we're clear, are civil cases. Uh, it's not to say that it won't become a criminal matter, but for right now, we're pending in a civil court. So that is actually probably more pertinent to what we're discussing with the case uh, as is. So I'm going to go back to the questions channel real fast. That way we can start reading through some of these. Let's see. Went to a Catholic law school, St. Mary's University. Uh, just since you mentioned universities, they probably love that my name translates to devil lawyer. So that's nice. A little <laughs> unknown factoid there. All right. So back to the questions channel. And we're going to start with the first question. Kenzo uh, Amori has been asking this nonstop. <laughs> Is Tony Busby a good lawyer? Uh, Scotty, has his reputation made its way up to you? Have you read anything about it, et cetera? Uh, a little bit. I do have a few friends that are attorneys in Houston. They've talked about him before. I mean, I don't know a lot about Busby himself. I know his type. You know, there's a lot of the big shot plaintiff's attorneys, the ones that are well-known in their area, that are frankly known for being kind of assholes. Like, it's not about who he is as a person. It's about how he manages his cases. He's an aggressive attorney. He's a guy you hire when you're like, I hate this person. I want to get an asshole attorney who's going to make their life a living hell. Yep. That's the kind of guy Busby is. And Busby also very much likes power in addition to that. Those, those, you know, there's several stories that you've heard about Busby. And honestly, if you were to poll the Houston area population about whether or not Busby was a good attorney, I think you would probably get about a 50-50 response on whether or not his name being attached to a case means that the case is probably shit, uh, or it means that some of the population, about 50% of it probably thinks, oh, wow, they got Busby on this thing. There must be something to it. Uh, he has filed plenty of big cases in his past that he later non-suited. Oftentimes, you don't think of when it's non-suiting is that there's probably been some type of settlement that occurred in the background. Uh, one of the weird things that we're going to have to consider on this case is right now in none of the lawsuits have they requested more than $500 as far as you know restitution to the victims go. Uh, 
uh, right now they're taking a tone, at least publicly, in their current filings that this is about outing a man who is a serial predator so that he does not continue to do so. Now, anybody in the legal field knows that that could change at any minute. At any minute, he could file a new lawsuit in each one of these, basically editing his former lawsuit and adding on counts and changing what the damages he's requesting are, etc. Uh, Personality-wise, to kind of tack on what Scotty said earlier, um, we've all seen the weird Instagram posts where he's talking about he grew up in kind of a poor household and he fought in the Marines. Appreciate that, obviously. He's also the type of guy who will buy a fucking tank and park it on the street in one of the richest neighborhoods in Houston uh, and get in a fight with all of his neighbors about the ability to keep a tank parked on his street. Uh, he loves headlines. He loves having his name in the news. Uh, so whether or not he's a good attorney, he does get good results quite frequently. And like Scotty said, he is the type of guy that you hire when you want that quote unquote bulldog attorney who is going to run someone into the ground. And what we're seeing, obviously, with Sean is it's kind of what we are seeing. He has unleashed 21 lawsuits now uh, against him. And like I said, right now he's only asking for $500. So they're making it out like it's not about money, which of course is what Rusty and Deshaun have said all along is that, no, this is a shakedown essentially. Uh, so whether he's good or not, does it matter? It does matter. Uh, Busby gets his name in the paper and on the news a lot. And Probably the most expensive, and I'm going to say this, and this probably sounds a little bit callous, and I don't mean it this way, but potentially one of the biggest mistakes, in my opinion, that Deshaun Watson ever made in his life and will ever make in his life would be not having paid off complaining witness number one, the first alleged victim. He quickly came out on Twitter saying, I did not do this. I look forward to uh, to having my day in court and proving my innocence, etc." But whether these are legitimate other victims or whether these are copycat people looking for a payday, because that's what you hear on Twitter as the responses. Uh, no matter what happened in this, with his name in the news like it is right now, with 21 cases, with 21 separate victims attached to it, it doesn't matter if Busby's good because the damage is already done. Deshaun is going to pay some type of price for this. And, and Scotty, chime in on this because you because you handled these. Obviously, non-disclosures are falling out of favor in our country. Uh, and just so everyone knows, a non-disclosure is where you settle a case, uh, but there's some language in the settlement document that can and often does penalize the other party if they then talk about the results of what happened in the lawsuit, why it settled, how much it settled for, et cetera. But what I suspect is that because of the nature of this case, because of the publicity that's already involved in this case, it's going to be very hard for him to non-suit 21 matters and Deshaun potentially still walks away completely scot-free because it's going to look very suspect to the league. And as we've seen before, the league is going to do an investigation regardless of any criminal or civil law outcomes. So can you talk a bit about you know, what types of things to look for as this case goes on in the civil side and whether or not you would expect in a post-Me Too world to have this thing non-suited based on what, what we've seen as of now. Uh, sure. Well, that's something I did want to get into a little bit with uh, Busby specifically as well. 
is that when I've talked about like this type of attorney being that like bulldog, that type of guy that, you know, is going to get what you want. Those are the type of guys that settle cases all the time, like already uh, civil litigation, you know, 95 plus percent of cases settle. Most cases never see trial. Most cases never get close. And a guy like Busby, it's someone that the other side doesn't want to deal with usually. They're like, I just don't want to deal with what this guy's going to do to me. Even if I think he's completely dead wrong, he's just going to be harassing. He's going to be filing stuff, you know, last minute every week, every hour. And it's a pain. I mean, I've dealt with people like that. I've been that person before in cases, uh, just trying to harass someone to get them to settle. It's legal strategy. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be what happens here. Like, Sean's attorney is going to be getting harassed constantly by motions, by discovery matters. Like, if this goes forward, it's going to be a hellstorm. Oh, discovery on this case would take forever. Think uh, about that. I think there's so discovery, discovery just so everyone knows, is the legal mechanism where one attorney requests information from the other party that theoretically has access to the attorney at the first side doesn't. Uh, so Deshaun's pay stubs and that kind of stuff in a family law matter. We're trying to figure out what child support is. Uh, what in a discovery matter for this type of case would you be asking for, Scotty? Uh, absolutely. You know, the chat logs is the obvious one everyone knows about, the Instagram page. Uh, it's going to be, the thing is, when you do cases like this, you tend to be very broad with your discovery requests. And you try to get just anything you can get them to give up like any documentation of the actual appointments, any communications, those are the main things. And identification of any witnesses, anyone who knew that he was even going to these appointments, testify about that. They'll be deposing all his friends, everyone they talked to about it. Uh, It's a whole, whole huge process. But I think it would be good to kind of talk about the process generally is how we even get to that point, because there's no guarantee we even get there. Great. Because what we have right now is just lawsuits that have been filed. They've been served on Deshaun, from what we've seen, and that's just the beginning of a lawsuit. Nothing has happened yet. There's, As far as I know, there's not even a judge assigned yet. Uh, I might be wrong about that, but I have As of familiar. three or four days ago when I looked, there still wasn't. Okay. Uh, and 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 one thing we'll talk about a little bit later, Harris County is probably the most backed up court in the state of Texas right now. Uh, they took, not this past year, 2020, but the year before that, 2019, whatever hurricane it was uh, that hit them, I think it might have been Harvey. Uh, maybe that was even in 2018. I'm not sure. But one of the hurricanes that was there just parked itself on top of the city for days and days and days and, and over a week, I think. The courthouse took significant flooding damage. Uh, and in fact, even before the pandemic hit, what you see with these cases in Harris County is the criminal docket was being forced to go and invade the civil court docket because they didn't have enough courtrooms for everything. Uh, so you already had the situation where criminal law is supposed to always take precedence over civil law cases because in a criminal law case, you're facing the loss of your life, liberty, uh, and freedom. And so you've got people who are awaiting their trial in custody already or facing years and years in prison, potentially. Uh, So when you're having these courtrooms sharing time, if a criminal law case starts up, it could be an entire week 
before that court is opened back up because you've got jury selection will take a couple days. Uh, and then the trial itself, depending on the severity, will also take a couple days to a couple weeks. And so you have all these civil cases because this was before we had all come into this COVID world where we're used to doing remote Zoom hearings and, and telephone hearings, Microsoft Teams, all the different things that we have become accustomed to, uh, accustomed with at this point. We weren't used to that. So Harris County was already dragging far behind the, the rest of the state of Texas when it came to docket management and keeping the cases moving. And so then you run into March of last year, and we haven't had here in my county a single trial since late February of 2020. Uh, that's unheard of in the legal profession. And I believe it's the same in Harris County. So you already had this backlog of cases that now has become almost insurmountable at and so things are moving now because we're doing Zoom type stuff, but it is moving very slowly. Uh, sorry, I kind of cut you off, but I just wanted to make sure that that's also things move slow on the best days in law, yeah. uh, but they're going to be even slower now. Yeah, it's one of those first conversations you have with a client when they ask, how long will it take? Every client asks that. And it's always a bit of a downer for them when they hear how long this stuff takes, but that's just the way it goes. Because I'm going to get into that. It's kind of, we have the lawsuits filed. I believe, uh, I'm not sure what it is in Texas, either 45 or 60 days before Sean Watson even responds to the lawsuits. So it is, the, it's yeah. the Monday following 20 days. So. 20 days? Okay. Yeah. So he's going to respond to the lawsuit, and then they're going to have to get a conference call with their judge and get like a scheduling order out that's going to give them the whole schedule of the case. And then they're going to have to start going into all the, you know, early motions that they're going to file. Then they're going to start getting towards discovery. And it's months and months before you even get to that stage. You're going to have all these early fights. There might be motions just to dismiss the cases outright, which there almost certainly will be. You got to resolve those first. It's a long, long process. And then if you ever even get to discovery, that's when you actually start the exchange of evidence and start you know, moving towards the possibility of a real trial. And that's also when most cases will settle because either people don't want to give up the stuff they have or it just kind of clarifies how the case is going to go. And it becomes kind of obvious who's going to win once you see all the evidence. So that's the kind of timelines we're looking at. This is like in the best of times, you're looking at, you know, maybe two years before trial. Uh, in the worst of times like we are now, I have no idea what we're looking at. It's just. I'm telling for, for what is worth. I'm telling my criminal law clients, especially if they're on bond, not to expect a trial before maybe the end of 2022. And that's, mm -hmm. that's criminal cases. Uh, now, the, the perk of civil cases is that some courts have started allowing civil Zoom jury trials. Now, I think that's a disaster waiting to happen. And clearly Deshaun's camp is not going to want this to become a televised nightmare for him. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the other thing to kind of point out. The delay on this case is absolutely going to be benefiting Busby because that entire time, that means it's a sideshow for the NFL to potentially have him out there on the field uh, playing while there's 21 sexual assault cases just in the courthouse every single day. Uh, and, and like Sky said, they can potentially start setting motions and setting hearings. And if I'm Busby and I'm aiming to have my case settled, what am I going to do? I'm going to look at the fucking Texan schedule and I'm going to start having him do depositions, 
at inconvenient times. I'm going to make discovery due at certain times. If I'm going to set a hearing on something where I think I can require the court to have him in person, and he won't have to be there for everyone, don't get me wrong, but I'm going to try and just be that nap buzzing around his head during every game he's playing so that hopefully he's playing worse. I want him to want these cases to go away. Uh, Scotty, one of the things you and I kind of disagree on, we'll get to it more here later, but let's say magically two months from now, all 21 cases go away. Mm -hmm. Do you think the NFL would would still be letting him play this year based on what we Uh, know now? So that's a tough one because it's just – like this is something that like I don't think either of us. Just to clarify, we're not experts on what the NFL is going to do we by any means. <laughs> we just have our opinions, yeah. just like everyone else. And I don't think our opinions are that much more qualified than other people's, just because we're lawyers. Uh, you know, we've all seen what the NFL has done over the years with people like Ray Rice, with people like Tyreek Hill, as the allegations come forward. If the stuff just disappeared, I mean, it would first of all depend on how it disappears. If it's just they all withdraw their cases, yeah, he's going to play. If it's they just settle and we don't know what happened, the NFL is going to be investigating him. Chances are he would be placed on the commissioner's exempt list or something like that. And they would be trying to figure out what to do, try to make a quick ruling. But, man, it's it's a bit unpredictable. I am a bit of a, I don't know if it's an optimist or a pessimist, that I have a low view of the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one it is. Yeah. I think the I think the NFL is looking to do what they can to get a guy like Deshaun Watson to play. They want this all to go away and just to move on from it. They want to have a situation like Michael Vick where he just comes back and plays and you just forget about everything he did before. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we are, I do know we're in a different era now. We have not had a case like this and we have not had a case like this, especially post Me Too. And everything has changed after Me Too. Our work has changed after Me Too. People are more aware of this stuff. People know what sexual assault is. Like, it's very different world. So it really becomes a PR issue. And then on top of that, we've got the existing he not wanting to be a Texan issue. Yeah. Is he even going to be playing if he's allowed to? Is he still going to continue his holdout and demanding a trade? If so, no one's trading for him. So I'm, I would not feel good about him playing this year. I'm not going to rule out him playing in the future. But just all the factors together make me feel real, really, really unsure. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the middle of a startup right now with a bunch of people in this Discord. Sean Watson went in the late fifth round, which seemed about right. He went ahead of Aaron Rodgers and Ryan Tannehill, which I disagreed with. But, you know, the person who took him felt confident. Uh, everyone's going to have their different views. That's how I feel right now. I'm avoiding him. Yeah. Even though I do think he'll probably play in the future. So Electro Nick followed up with the question about Busby to ask, could you also discuss Rusty Harden's past as well? It appears both are high-priced lawyers. Uh, And again, as Solar said, does that even matter? Rusty Harden was more known as being probably the predominant criminal defense attorney in the Houston area. Now he has branched out into other areas of the law, uh, but I do think that was the first hint we saw when he hired Rusty Harden is that he hired somebody with prosecution experience and significant criminal defense background. 
that obviously we have civil allegations of sexual assault, but basically tipping the hat to he hired someone who could also easily walk in and be the criminal defense attorney that you would want on this type of case. He is very good. Uh, there's there's no way around it. He's one of the best in the in the city of Houston. Uh, they are both. I, I say both are expensive. Busby's not expensive because Busby gets his payout at the end of the case. Uh, if he settles for you know two hundred million dollars by the time this thing is said and done, I don't think it'll be that high. But let's just throw a big number out there. He stands to make fifty to seventy million off of it, depending on what his contract says. Uh, Rusty Harden, on the other hand, probably has a flat fee structure uh, or maybe an hourly structure because it's a civil case where essentially Deshaun will pay a very large retainer up front and they'll bill towards that. Uh, obviously, we've got deep pockets here. Uh, does it matter? Yes, Rusty Harden's very good, but I will say that one of the hints that I have seen on this, kind of like Scotty just mentioned, we are in post Me Too. We have never seen a case this big in this area of law since that movement. I can't think of one off the top of my head with this many accusations even before Me Too for what it's worth, but we certainly haven't seen anything like this since Me Too. And one of the things that I worry about here is maybe Rusty Harden, like myself and like Scotty at heart, being a bit of a boomer, might not be reading the room so well because we have two things that I've noticed thus far, and Scotty, chime in at any time. One thing is that the very first kind of counterattack that they put out there uh, essentially said, hey, we have very good proof that accuser number, it was three, uh, was a consensual sexual encounter. And then the second thing, especially when you take it into and add it to the first little hint there, uh, was that they now have issued basically written statements from 18 people, and they emphasize that are willing to attach their name to this, uh, who massaged Deshaun Watson, and nothing bad happened. Uh, and post Me Too, that's essentially saying, hey, look at these people I didn't rape, so to say. And so it can be very controversial the way he's saying things. And the way he's saying these things very much could potentially turn that PR tide against Watson. Uh, whereas I still see a lot of people defending him online, uh, et cetera. When you take those two hints combined, you've got, I had a consensual relationship, sexual relationship with one of my massage therapists. Oh, and by the way, not even counting the 21 who are accusing me of wrongdoing, here's 18 other people over the last year or two who I paid to massage me in some way. I mean, I'll... Jump in here to clarify what I think about this is that okay. there's a little bit of a difference here because all of these cases together represent one giant claim, where, as we said before, they're accusing him of being a serial assaulter, that this is what he does all the time. And part of his defense to that logically would be finding excuses for what he did, saying, when they say in the complaint, they say in a bunch of the complaints that they're uncomfortable, he only wear, wore a towel. So they went out and found a bunch of masseuses that said, oh, it's totally normal to only wear a towel. I thought that wasn't weird at all. It's things like that that they're trying to get going and try to start poking holes in the other side's case. Now, it doesn't get at the actual assault facts that 
involving like you know him touching them with his genitalia all the details that we all know uh that part isn't really being attacked but the more holes you can poke through small things the better it is and i don't give people as much credit for being smart about recognizing that there's a logical fallacy here with you know he didn't assault these women these women and therefore he might not have assaulted these other ones some people might take that as you know logical even though it isn't and there's just why is june messaging me stop it june (laughs) (laughs) but but there's uh that's the problem there that people this isn't using they're not trying to convince the lawyers of the world they're not trying to convince me and da they're trying to convince you know the working class people in texas who are going to be yelling about this one way or the other and not say these people aren't bright but they're not as educated on what good arguments are yeah absolutely uh so one of the things that also comes into play here and i'll let scotty talk about the first part and then i'll hammer on the second part you have different burdens of proof so in a in a civil law uh case what type of burden of proof do the accusers have to meet uh, to have him found civilly liable for well, the legal term for it is a preponderance of the evidence that the way to think about it is that how we're kind of taught it in law school is that if you take all the evidence on one side, all the evidence on the other side, which one has over 50%, like which way do you lean? It's not anything like a criminal liability where it's beyond a reasonable doubt. That is a massive burden. That is I am 99% sure that this guy did it, and I can't think of a reasonable way he didn't. Mm-hmm. Preponderance of the evidence is just that it's more likely than not that he did it, is the easiest way to put it. It's a little bit more complex than that when you get in the weeds of it, but just for the sake of this, that's basically what it is. Yeah, And that's a big reason that civil suits are preferred in a lot of cases, that it's easier. It's not easy to win a criminal case. And that's uh, somebody later on, I believe, asked about uh, this exact thing, referencing OJ, where he was not convicted in criminal trial, was found liable in a civil trial afterwards. Because they're not asking the same things. In a criminal trial is, did he absolutely do this beyond a reasonable doubt? In a civil trial is, is there enough evidence to say that he can be found liable for damage caused to this other person? And that's, you know, it's just money in the end, so it's a lower standard. So it's just, oh, I think it's close enough that he should pay these people. And, you know, that's ultimately what happened with OJ. He was forced to pay because they found that it was more likely than not that whether he killed her or not, the actions he took caused harm to these people. Let me ask you this. Let's say it gets to trial and there's a civil conviction. Do you think he plays good? Well, and like I said, once again, guys, we are guessing, but there are, there's obviously various levels this could turn out. We could settle and not know the settlement. They could non-suit, and it's a private settlement that's not released to the public. 
Uh, he could be civilly convicted. He could be criminally convicted on up to 21 counts each in theory at this point. So we're going to talk about all the different scenarios and guess the best we can. Well, I'm going to say up front that defense attorneys won't like your use of the word term convicted or civil cases. <laughs> That's fair. I don't do a lot of civil law. I do family law and there's no convictions there. But... Well, there's a lot of liability though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in civil cases, you're not found to be convicted of something. You're not guilty of a crime. You are found to be liable. You are responsible for the damage done to this other person. And if that happens in these cases, there's a lot of ways it can happen, too. But you also have to think about what the specific allegations are. Uh, that's like, that's interesting in this case is that we refer to this as sexual assault. The actual... Uh, statute for sexual assault in Texas only applies to, I think, two cases out of all of these that I saw, because the actual sexual assault statute only refers to what most people would traditionally refer to as rape, which is actually like some sort of sexual activity between the two people. Uh, the most prominent allegations in these are actually indecent assault. Yeah. Uh, which if he's found liable of that, that's a big deal. If he's found liable of some other form of assault where they find that it wasn't indecent assault, I don't know why they would, but it's possible that maybe he gets found liable for threatening a woman, like one of the women involved with this, but not for any of the sexual stuff. That's a little bit more, you know, wishy-washy. Uh, but just the basis of this question, if he's found liable for the actual everything he's accused of, I don't think it's likely he plays again. It's too much. It's just, yeah. that's way too much. And uh, one I of the things, yeah. yeah. And one of the things that, that you and I have kind of messaged about, there is a mechanism in both Texas civil and criminal law. So a lot of what you hear online is, oh, well, it's he said, she said. He said, she said. Well, it's not really because there are exceptions to the rule. Each trial should, in theory, be he said, she said. And you take that one trial and you ignore the other 20 accusations. The Texas law is very victim-friendly when it comes to this area of law because it does allow for you to bring in other allegations, both in a civil court and in a criminal court. There's some, some more harsh deadlines and notice requirements in the criminal courts. Uh, but essentially, if you provide notice to the other side that you intend to get into extraneous offenses or offenses that are not part of this trial, you can do so for several different reasons. So uh, motive, opportunity, uh, having the same M.O. throughout the different modus operandi. I suck at Latin. Correct me if I'm wrong, Scott. Uh, Close enough. Yeah. So all these things where it in theory should be, he said, she said, it's not, it's going to be, he said, she 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 said, I'm 15 more, uh, where they're desperately, if any of these go to a civil or a criminal trial, going to try and turn this into a circus where it's not, he said, she said, it is, he said, versus an army of accusers who are saying similar things. And one of the things, and I posted some links uh, down near the bottom of the chat before we started, that you'll notice is that there's not a lot of overlap as far as the accusations go. Now, the attorney has some power in doing that. It could be that 
just throwing out a number. Accuser number six said it happened on seven different weekends. Uh, and on four of those weekends, there was already another lawsuit filed for that weekend. And so uh, Busby left that, those weekends off of the allegations and just focused on it. But there's not a lot of overlap here where one masseuse is saying something happened on the same day as another masseuse. Uh, it does look like it's fairly spaced out. Uh, you have a lot of similar allegations, theoretically from women who are going to be able to prove that they don't know each other, that they've never spoken. And in a lot of these, what you'll notice is that the victim says uh, either in her complaint or in some of the news stories, and even there was a Sports Illustrated one where a person who hasn't sued Deshaun yet uh, went into details about what she alleges he did. Now, she might sue. In that article, if you read closely, she didn't like the vibe that she was getting from Busby, and she's still talking to another attorney weighing her options. So we can't pretend like she's this uninterested party. She is still weighing whether or not she would want to actually join a lawsuit or start a separate lawsuit with a different attorney. But there are similar allegations in each of these ones. And, and one of the defenses, obviously, will be, well, some of those things are normal, like Scotty was talking about earlier. That's part of why they had these 18 other masseuses come forward and say, oh, no, using a towel is normal. That's not weird at all. Um, and so the problem is, if he uses the same phrase and they're able to show, look, I don't know this woman. I've never talked to this woman before. She's just another massage therapist. If she's saying the same things, it's because he's doing the same things then they will try and bring it to where it's no longer he said, she said. And, and both from a criminal perspective and a civil perspective, once that jury hears about all of these other similar things, it does become much harder to win the case as the defense, whether you're a criminal defense attorney or a civil defense attorney. You have any thoughts on that, Scotty? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a huge fight in this case. That's going to be something that's taken That'll care of primary the fight, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, that is going to be everything pre-trial is going to be motions. It's called a motions in limine is pre-trial motions over what evidence will be allowed in. Uh, they're going to go back and forth. They're going to come up with every argument under the sun for why it should be allowed, why it shouldn't. Because the actual rules do say that similar bad acts like this are, as a rule, not allowed to be entered. But there's so many exceptions they can come in under. And as uh, DA said, Texas is very lenient about this. Mm -hmm. They tend to let it in for just about any reason. So I do think that, you know, one trial is going to have testimony from every other girl in it. And that's going to be a huge uh, organizational burden. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't think there's any chance they consolidate the cases. Like, no. Put them all uh, into just, one. Yeah. I don't think there's a mechanism that Busby could force it, and certainly yeah. Watson's camp would never acquiesce to it. Oh, absolutely not. Like, there's for the sake of convenience, it is possible to combine similar cases together, but that won't happen here. Uh, if it did, I'd be very surprised. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's what we're going to be looking at. It's going to be a big fight. I think that Busby would win it uh, if we ever get to that point, and that's going to be a big reason I don't expect we'll ever get to that point because they know mm -hmm. that that would never look good for them. I mean, that's, I forced a, just to share a little personal anecdote. Like I forced a settlement in a case using that exact tactic that we were suing a police department over police brutality. And we basically gave them a list of every other police brutality case they had ever been involved in. 
and like all the names of all the people we're going to bring in to testify. We said, we're going to bring in every person you've ever beat the crap out of and bring them into this courtroom. And you're going to have to sit and listen to it for four weeks. We're going to have a four week trial. And they turned around and gave us a lot of money. <laughs> mm-hmm. So because they did not want that. <laughs> so that's. And, and I do think like that's going to be yeah. the first battle that I think is very important. If we get a, a, a pretrial ruling on this well before trial. Uh, that a judge is going to allow this. And I don't think he will. It, it, motions in limine usually happen, at least on the criminal context, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Scotty, uh, on the civil side, but in, in the criminal context, a motion in limine happens 20 minutes before the jury walks in the room. Uh, yes, so, I like that in civil trials. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, so tell me, what is it like more on the civil side of things? It's like any other motion you'd be filing early in the process, like a motion to dismiss. You know, it's just months in advance. There's usually... I mentioned that after the suit's filed, you'll get a scheduling order. In that scheduling order, it will include a deadline for motions in limine, typically a few months before the trial. Uh, I don't know exactly what Texas's rule usually. It's in Maryland. I think it's usually one to three months before the trial, depending on the case. Yeah. have an entire mini trial where you're presenting all this evidence to the judge for like two days just so they can rule if it's going to be allowed to be used at the actual trial now it's there's a lot to it this is why again it's a long long process and so much of it is decided beforehand yeah so i i I think honestly if we get a pre-trial ruling on that well before the day of trial and a judge says that that type of evidence where different accusers are going to be able to come in on, on trial number one. That is where I would start looking for all 21 cases disappearing at the same time, because that is a huge defeat on the Watson side of things to have all of the accusers be able to come in and testify in one trial. DA, just because something else uh, I saw down the line, uh, just about the criminal side of this. We know that they are not planning to pursue criminal charges. Uh, what do you think the would be a reason for that? Like, do you think that there's something about the criminal side of this that means they'd want to avoid it? Sorry, has there been something definitive that's come out that said they, that they are not going to pursue yeah. criminal? Uh, Busby came out with a statement basically saying that he doesn't trust the chief of police or... Okay, so I did read that statement, and, you, and you're yeah. right. However, what he said was... Uh, just to kind of expound on it a little bit, back when he ran for mayor, once again, Busby loves to see his name in the news. This is a guy who bought and parked a tank. This is a guy who, when Johnny Manziel, Johnny fucking football, was coming out for the NFL draft, put 10 to 15 billboards all around Houston saying, bring Johnny football to Houston. He's on the board of regents at Texas A&M and loves to throw his weight and his money around. So when, when you're talking about what his statement said, he said, when I ran for mayor, I took some pot shots at Art Acevedo, which is the chief of police for Houston PD. And the son of Rusty Hardin, who is Deshaun Watson's lawyer, works for HPD. So we are looking into other avenues, but we will certainly not be presenting our case to HPD. Uh, so I didn't read that statement necessarily as saying 
we are not going to be looking at it from going. We don't want to take this to a criminal court. They might not want to take it to a criminal court, but there are multiple avenues in Texas law where they can. So, for instance, there's a mechanism where he could bring evidence to a grand jury himself uh, and just present their case, present witnesses to the grand jury, and the grand jury could decide if they want to file cases against Deshaun Watson. It's not a very frequently used uh, avenue to have a criminal case start, but there is a mechanism within the law that does allow it, even though it's rare. The second thing they could do is they could skip straight to the DA's office. Every DA's office or most DA's office in Texas, DA stands for district attorney here, uh, has investigators. So these are police officers who work for the DA's staff who, when they're doing these things, uh, can work up cases and then through the vehicle of a prosecutor bringing this case and having the detectives uh, that work for the, the DA's office themselves present evidence to the to the grand jury. They could also take it to uh, the sheriff's office. So I, I don't take it to mean it's not going to be going criminal for what it's worth. Uh, I will say, I think the burdens of proof and just Busby's specialty uh, in being a bulldog and forcing settlements and, and oftentimes high dollar settlements uh, meant that he would prefer it be kept in the civil realm, at least initially. But at the end of the day, going forward on a multi-tier front and and it can help him because if Deshaun is convicted in a criminal case, uh, you're going to lose. If if you're convicted in a criminal sense with the much higher burden, you're, you're automatically going to lose in the civil world. There's just no way around it. Uh, so it, it could be beneficial, but it also might mean that uh, Deshaun Watson's lawyers then get to use that as a delay tactic by saying, judge, we need to have the, the criminal case go first. Uh, and then we'll get to the civil case. Uh, so there, I, I, you can read it and interpret it in numerous ways, and, and I don't pretend to know what they're thinking, but I am also of the mindset that I have known plenty of prosecutors who love to get their name in the news. Uh, and the DA in Harris County, I can't remember her name, uh, has a, a very interesting reputation, uh, but she does like to have her name in the news. So it very well could be that she sees this as an opportunity to start digging into this and having a high-profile case, and in theory, a high-profile win. Because if what Busby is saying is true, and we don't know, Scotty said earlier, all we have is accusations on a civil complaint at this point. Uh, we don't have any evidence to show whether or not he fully vetted these things or not, quite frankly. Uh, but if they go forward with it, getting an indictment on a criminal case is extremely easy. Extremely. Uh, back when I was a district attorney, uh, not the elected, but assistant district attorney, uh, there's an old saying in the criminal justice system that a good prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich. If I wanted the grand jury to do what's called no bill and get rid of a bad case, it's easy to do. If I wanted a grand jury to go ahead and indict, even though I had kind of a weak case, but there was a reason why I thought it needed to go forward from that, you, you tend to establish a relationship with the grand jurors because they're impaneled for months at a time, and they're there usually once, maybe twice a week sometimes, uh, where you just get to know them. Every case that you have to indict, you're down there, you're kind of talking with them, you're sipping coffee, and then you present your facts. And so the, the prosecutor's office and what they're thinking about this case could make it to where they start doing investigations of their own uh, and in fact, that Sports Illustrated article 
where the woman came out and is not currently doing a civil uh, case against Deshaun Watson, but she put her name out there, it would not shock me if both law enforcement and the DA's office reach out to this woman to start asking questions and start building their case there, whether Busby actually cooperates with them or not. So, all right, that was a long answer. No bad. I think that about covers that area. I really am not as experienced in the criminal side. Uh, I just hear stories from my best friend who's a prosecutor, but mm -hmm. <laughs> she just mostly does juvenile, so it's not as much fun. I hate juvenile cases. Yeah, she uh, hates it too. Neither <laughs> uh, so it looks like uh, Witchy Kinkaju said, do you think your profession makes you quicker to buy or sell players that have a run-in with the law? Any thoughts on that, Scotty? Okay, so lawyers generally are very jaded people. I think I don't think DA's going to disagree with that. No, no, not at all. And, and <laughs> we, the as we talked about in general chat the other day. Yeah, if you're a happy, up, optimistic person coming into law school, don't worry. Three years later, you're going to be as an old, jaded asshole like us. Mm -hmm. uh, you're just start viewing everything skeptically. You start being a pessimist because you kind of can interpret things how like people are going to be motivated to act in negative mm -hmm. ways. Like you see a lot of it. We see so much stuff behind the scenes of how people are acting, what their reasons for acting that way are. When a player gets accused of something like this, it's, it always depends. And that's the answer every, it's kind of a running joke that if you ask a lawyer any question, they're going to say it depends. Yeah. I mean, that's it's actually on the uh, some of the lawyer subreddits. That's just like one of those running jokes that you just anyone asks a question, you write, it depends. Uh, Nick actually had a follow up, and I don't know if you had yeah. any strong. We'll, we'll kind of go into that real fast. Uh, he said maybe a brief summary of what happened over the summer of 2019 with Tyreek and how you handled it. And would, would that provide good context? Did you take a stand on, on Tyreek in any way? Yeah, I thought that he was going to be fine. Uh, mostly because it didn't progress to a point where I thought it was clear that he was going to get in trouble. I thought that he was a scumbag based on what I what came out, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't like any of it. It was all negative, but it kind of is the same thing I was arguing early on with the Deshaun Watson stuff when it was just a couple allegations. Was, yeah, this is bad, but... It's the NFL. Maybe he'll get suspended. He'll be fine. And that's how I felt about Tyreek. I yeah. have a low opinion of the NFL. I don't think they're going to do anything egregious. I never thought there was any, any chance he wasn't going to play again or anything like that. Uh, if the case got to a point where... Because I don't, honestly, I don't remember the exact details of where exactly it got to. But it never reached a point where it really felt like he was at risk of being like pulled into court and being like giving testimony about this. Yeah. So it's a matter of how far it progresses for me. Watson's situation is already worse just because of the sheer number of allegations. The lat the and, and actually yep. I skipped Kenzo's question, but you're you're going into this answer. But he asked, what was the turning point in this case? for you to decide to to sell to Sean. It was when I forget his name, who the other attorney who filed a few cases on behalf of a few women that are not not with Busby. Yeah, I don't know. That was the nail to me. 
when someone other than Busby, because any excuse you make of, oh, Busby wants attention, Busby's getting all these women to do that. I didn't think it was likely, but it was possible. I mean, I've seen people manipulated into filing lawsuits before. Uh, it's actually not that hard to do if you know how to talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> like, I won't say I've gotten some lawsuits that shouldn't exist to exist before, but I might have. Uh, <laughs> and and I, guys, this is, this is the other thing to kind of point out. The bars don't penalize us, usually, for filing bad lawsuits. If if you knew that something was fully without merit, fully without merit, then you can be penalized. But uh, there is a lot of wiggle room there. So just like he said, just because Busby was doing these things, and he's known as being potentially a little less scrupulous on his cases, having other attorneys chime in also means it passed that person's personal ethics right. as well. Like I mean, I imagine myself sitting in a room with a client like this, being like, okay, what happened? They describe everything that happened. I'm like, yeah, but did he do this? And you kind of go like, yeah, but are you sure he didn't do something like this? And you kind of keep egging them, and eventually they'll be like, well, now that you say it, like he did. Like, I'm not telling them to lie. I'm not telling them to change their story, but they kind of know that that's what they should be doing in that yeah, situation. You're leading your witness, so to say. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can honestly say, Your Honor, this is what the woman told me. That's why I'm just going off of her word, her, off of her yeah. word. And I filed it based off of that. Yep. Uh, we are I've, only a vessel to to convey our client's story, whatever that's doing. I had a case uh, a couple years ago. It was actually a sexual harassment case where I sat down with a witness. She told me her story. It was absolutely heinous, just like the allegations she had. It was horrible. And, you know, I walked through it with her, filed what I needed to file. And it was a won't go into the details, but it wasn't a typical civil lawsuit. It involved dealing with a local government. And we had kind of a interview that wasn't a hearing with some investigators. And she just started changing her story. Like mm -hmm. things started like not adding up. Things started getting contradicting. And I realized pretty quickly that she had been lying to me. You know, I'm not like, it's not a common thing to happen, honestly. Like it has happened to me a handful of times in my career so far that I'd known a client was lying to me and mm -hmm. I still was like on the case. Uh, I dropped her as a client not long after. I made sure I got to a point where I could reasonably do so while fulfilling my obligations as an attorney, but it happens. Yeah. And no. <laughs> there's a lot of context where it can come up and it's when you try to weed out because you don't want to be caught in that. You as an attorney don't want to be caught with a lying client. Mm -hmm. Like if Busby has his own motivation that he wants to get to the, at the Texans for something, if he's mad at the owner, mad at somebody, and he's trying to get all these women to do this, it's possible he could do that. He has the power to do that. But this many women and now another attorney involved, this isn't some scheme by Busby. It just can't be. Yeah. And that entire theory goes out the window when it's this big. He would not risk his legal career over this, and that's what this would be at this point. So I agree. That's so, the tipping point for me. Yeah. So, so for me, I'll, I'll I took a very strong stand with Tyreek, and my my history on this actually goes back a little bit further. So, I was at the DA's office that prosecuted Adrian Peterson, 
I was in the family protection division. And I remember that was the, that's the big miss I've had. I've been right since then. But if I remember correctly, Peterson's allegations happened after Ray Rice. And at that time, we knew that the NFL had kind of had a black eye because they gave a really low punishment on Ray Rice. Uh, and then the video came out and they upped it to, I think, six games instead of whatever, two or three he had. Uh, and knowing what was in the Adrian Peterson file, knowing exactly what day it was going to be uh, set for the grand jury, I did a little insider trading, so to say. Uh, I went ahead and had waiver wire pickups and free agency pickups in my redraft leagues ready for, I think, Jarek McKinnon and whoever else the other Minnesota running back was at the time. Uh, whoever was behind him. But I waited for the news to break on ESPN. I think I got like a Matthew Berry tweet or something sent to me. And I remember at the time when everybody asked me, I was like, I mean, we just saw Ray Rice. What we didn't know about Ray Rice is that he was going to be forever blackballed after that. Uh, and that the NFL had a black eye. And so for the first time in memory, for me anyway, that's when they did the commissioner's exempt list, where he was still having to be paid by his team, but he was not allowed to play football. And so, you know, at the time with Adrian Peterson, I just kept talking to people. I was like, look, if Ray Rice decked his wife in an elevator like he did, and he can technically survive and come back next year, they're just going to they're gonna wait for the criminal case to finish before they decide. And, and this is kind of the theory that we're going to keep going back to. The NFL is hard to predict. They change their policy all the time. When Tyreek came out, I had looked into Tyreek's past history back in, in university way back when. Uh, had a court-appointed attorney. He was charged with something very heinous. And he had the type of plea bargain on the table that can lead to not only a dismissal, but later an expunction. And an expunction allows you to go back and basically make it like this never happened. Now, you can't clean up the stories that come out and things like that. So there's no way for it to fully go away. Uh, but you can significantly clean up what the public has access to as far as offense reports, videos, whatever there might be. And there were some questions in that case that I knew about. Uh, her family at the time was having some significant financial problems. He was about to get uh, an NFL payday and had talked about breaking up with her. And that's when the allegation happened. And look, guys, I know that some of this is defense attorney kind of makes you scream talk, but there were hints in that case that it might not have been as clear cut as it was. I do a lot of assault family violence cases. I was the chief of my family violence unit for a little bit. Uh, complainants can lie. There's no way around it. Uh, and so me looking at his original case that kind of made everyone assume he was guilty on this later case and knowing that I had questions about that. Because when you have a sweetheart of a deal like that that leads to a dismissal that can be expunged, it's hard to say no to that and go to trial knowing that you could be a convicted felon and now your chance of playing in the NFL and making millions of dollars is gone. That's a lot of trust to put into a free lawyer. And so knowing that I had questions about that and then hearing you know, the original reports for that there was a broken arm in the case, the doctor said it was just like what you'd see in a kid who broke his arm falling down. Uh, and then you saw that there was no criminal case originally, uh, that they had been looking into her for some stuff. And the recording that everyone hated, yeah, it sucked. You shouldn't say shit like that. The end, full stop. Uh, but knowing what I know about family law and family violence cases, it just it didn't strike me. So to answer his question about does it make it me quicker to buy or sell, no. 
not necessarily quicker because I wait to see things that I consider hints, but I will say it makes it to where once I start seeing hints, I feel much more sure of the path I'm going to chart anyway. Uh, and so and I, I think, saw enough. Yeah, I, was say, I think that kind of echoes what I said earlier when I said like it never reached a stage where I was able making a judgment call. Like with yeah. Tyreek, that I never got to that point where I was feeling strongly about it. So I think my turning point on Tyreek was it looked like they weren't going to do criminal charges. And then they came out and said they weren't going to do criminal charges. And then the audio came out. And that's when everyone was like, oh, he's never playing again. He's right. never playing again. And I listened to that audio. And, and there was one thing that really stood out to me, which is in a one-on-one -on -one conversation between he and the alleged victim from, you know, five, six years ago, he she says something about the college case. And you could tell he kind of, Oh, I'm picturing that he shifted in his chair to look at her and he said something like, you know, damn well, that case didn't happen. If you and I are talking one on one and we're the only two people on earth who knows what actually happened that night and we're having a one on one conversation right now, it made no sense to me in that moment with that context why he would because he clearly didn't think he would was being recorded or he wouldn't have said, bitch, you should be afraid of me, too. Right. So if he if he does not know he's being recorded, why is he denying something like that? And so knowing all those things and knowing what I know as a prosecutor, if you didn't have a case to the point where you were going to charge him before that recording, that recording didn't change anything for me. And so that's when people started losing their mind and the price tanked. And I was just preaching bye, bye, bye. And I had 100 percent ownership right there for a second. Kareem, Kareem Hunt, I got right as well. Uh you know, the video came out on that one pretty quickly and the kick just wasn't what everyone described it to be. Uh, I wasn't preaching by, but I certainly wasn't selling the few shares that I had anyway. Uh, on this one, I, I'm, I'm getting a, a lot of warning signs. I've sold every share I have. Does not mean I'm right. It just means that the teams that I had them on were in certain windows and I felt like I needed to make the move. Uh, I worry that the price has gotten so low at this point that it just doesn't make sense to sell for a late second or two late seconds or something like that, which is what some people are offering. Uh, so you, you might just be in a hold pattern at this point, but if hints come along over the course of time, like we get a pretrial ruling that, we're, that we were talking about earlier, um, and it looks like he's going to be sunk in some way, well, then you might want to go ahead and sell because two late seconds is definitely better than holding on to this guy and having to never play again, uh, which is a possibility because like I said, they change their policy all the time. Uh, we don't know what they're going to do. We don't know if he's going to be put on the commissioner's exempt list, even if there's no criminal case, even if it just stays a civil case, they could look at this and go, shit, man, post me too. We cannot weather this storm. We just need to wait and see. Uh, so there's just so many things that can happen there. So I, I don't think it makes me quicker. I just think once I see certain hints, I'm very decisive in, in what I'm going to do at that point. I think it makes me a little slower. I just don't. I mean, it's. I don't think it has anything to do with me being a lawyer. It's just my personality. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to act rashly. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to be conservative. I'm going to hold a guy if I have him. I'm not going to buy him if I don't. I'm just going to wait and see and hope for the best. Because I don't know which way it's going to go. And selling a guy for on a huge discount because it's like, oh, it's all I can get. Like if I owned Watson, I would probably be holding him, honestly, even though I'm a little unsure at this point, just because what I could get for him right now wouldn't match even that small chance that he comes back and is the guy he was. And yeah. that's how I view it. 
not everyone's yeah. gonna feel the same way. This is not us advising anyone to buy or sell him. I agree. Uh, uh, so I wanted to just going back to the questions. I just wanted to run through and make sure we hit all the ones that are actually about Sean Watson in this case before we move on to anything else. Because there are some got a few questions in here that aren't exactly relevant to Sean Watson, but we won't mind answering. Uh, I got one from Begrudgingly Awake, BA. Uh, should the lawyers in this case be able to subpoena the DM records from Instagram? Is that changed at all due to it being a civil case? Uh, yes, it absolutely changes from it being a civil case. Uh, I'm sure DA could talk about this in the criminal context more, but uh, Instagram, Facebook, those big social media companies are huge pains in the ass in civil cases. Yeah. They don't want to give up anything. If you send them a subpoena, they'll send you back seven letters saying why they don't have to give it to you, why your request was wrong, why you didn't fill out the right form. They're never going to give it to you. I don't know anyone in a civil case who has actually gotten DM records from Instagram. However, anyone. Uh, one thing that is common in our family law cases uh, is judges ordering someone to go do an entire printout of their entire Facebook profile. Mm. Uh, so I'm sure the same thing could apply to Instagram, but yeah, it, it's it's a lot easier for criminal courts to get their hands on these things, which kind of goes back to Busby might not present it in a criminal context right now because he doesn't feel like he has something to gain. However, if he feels like at some point that he's not able to get the records that he wants to get, he is not above using the district attorney's office, in my opinion, because most attorneys would do it if they found some benefit to it to say, look, fine, here's all the information on all of my complainants. Go forth and conquer. Why? Because the DA's office has a much easier time getting those types of records, including allegations that Deshaun has been deleting things. And that that's something yeah. that Tony, uh, Scotty and I both agree is yeah. huge in this case. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole allegation on its own is destruction of evidence. Mm -hmm. That's something that's going to come up very early in this. Uh, and there's a number of ways they can handle it. In discovery, they can actually, you know, actually ask to get Deshaun Watson's cell phone. They mm -hmm. can examine it. They can get someone to come in and forensically examine his phone, look at everything he's done on it that they can pull up, print out entire copies of everything on it. That's what they're going to do. It's mm -hmm. going to be really awful for him if they do that. Yep. Uh, it, whether or not they can actually pull the records is one thing or another. But if they can't get the records back, if they can somehow prove that he actually deleted this stuff after the lawsuits were filed or after he was made aware of them, then they can it's go to the judge. It's a new criminal case, and it's a potentially new civil. Uh, he could be hit with uh, sanctions or... Right. It wouldn't actually, in most cases, be a new civil case. It would just be requests for sanctions within the existing case. Mm -hmm. uh, the most common would be an adverse inference is what it's called is where if someone destroys evidence, the court can just assume for the purposes of the case that what they destroyed were, was negative for them. Yeah. Like you can say, I think he destroyed messages saying, I'm going to go rape this girl. And they could actually say like, okay, for the sake of this, we're going to assume it said something along those lines. And they're going to tell the jury that at the trial. They're going to say the fact that he deleted these text messages absolutely used that against him. 
So and you can and you can potentially pair some of these. Uh, you tell me if this is common. I I mm. I do this on some of my family law cases, but from a civil law perspective, especially with sexual harassment type cases, if I set a deposition or something like that, I know the answer to a lot of the questions I'm asking. So we know that probably most of these accusers have gone back and taken screenshots of their chat history with mm -hmm. Deshaun Watson. Absolutely. So we're going to have before and after views probably for most of them before he deleted and after he deleted. Uh, and so if I'm doing something like that, I'm going to have him, you know, come in. I'm going to have him sit down. I'm going to ask him some questions and I am going to pray that he lies because I want him to lie. I want nobody to trust what he says. Now his yeah. attorney is probably going to say, look, dude, you should assume they know the answer to that question because uh, you're just going to dig your hole deeper. So uh, I don't know how Instagram works from what people on the server are telling my boomer ass. Uh, there's, you know, it, it'll tell you that the other person deleted something. So especially if there's a screenshot that says Deshaun Watson deleted this post on whatever day, those are going to be easy allegations to prove. And if they're including that in their lawsuits, the newest ones included something about that. Uh, once again, Busby likes his name in the news, but he'd be foolish to say something like that that's easily disprovable uh, in a filing that has his name on it. So there are certain things that while he might embellish it or he might have led the complaining witness to maybe uh, exaggerate a little bit, and just go with him and what he's asking. There are certain definitive statements there. And I think uh, Kenzo asked, what was the turning point? I never answered that. Uh, my turning point was once some of the allegations started having things that wouldn't be in there if the lawyer hadn't done their due diligence. Uh, and I think it was, th there were three lawsuits that came out. And then in the batch of four, five, six, uh, I think I saw something there where they were alleging stuff about the chat history. I think on, it was lawsuit five, maybe, uh, where it said, he had contacted her afterwards and apologized for it being uncomfortable. And then with another one shortly thereafter, it was in there that he had, you know, messaged the person before the massage saying, hey, I've made some other massage therapists uncomfortable. Is that going to be okay? And so once they started talking about chat histories and the number started ballooning, that's where I was just like, you know what? I'm off this ship. I need to make this move now because... I know how slow Harris County is right now. I know how slow the court system is right now. And you already compound that with the fact that he was threatening to hold out. Uh, I'm about to lose a year. So let me cash out while I can still get hopefully near market value. Uh, but no, it, it's much more difficult to get it from the civil perspective. Yeah. But if Busby, if Busby really wants those things, it wouldn't shock me if he then turns it criminal just to help him more easily access that data. Yeah, I just don't even think it's going to be necessary in this type of case where they're just going to have what they have off the witnesses' phones and, like you said, and bring it up at a deposition. Uh, I'm not sure this case is ever going to even get to the depositions. I'd be shocked if it didn't settle before then. But if it ever did, man, that's going to be a hell of a deposition for Watson. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. we're not going to know what happens in these depositions. These are not public things. Yeah. These are completely behind the scenes. The, way, the lawyers are the only people there. The judge doesn't even know what the hell's going on. They just get called if they're arguing too much and have a problem, and the judges hate that. <laughs> yeah, they really hate that. And, you know, they're going to be behind the scenes, and that's what I'm talking about, how the discovery can kind of force settlements. 
you're sitting there and you hear your client say something he shouldn't have said, crap, now we have to go settle. Mm-hmm. That happens constantly. And this is a situation where that could happen very easily with these text messages. Yep. Uh, so moving on, I think BA had a follow-up question. Does someone who is a repeat offender as Watson, as Watson's alleged to be, typically have a carbon copy MO like this? Or just something of a new case where the allegations are so similar? Uh, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with uh, how they'd bring in all the other women testifying about him in each case and how they could kind of try these together. The closer the facts are, the easier that is to do. And I don't know about saying like typically they have an MO because I mean, there aren't that many cases out there with people just like doing this type of thing this many times in such a unique way. So I guess I would say it's not typical. I guess on the criminal side, you might see that like, I guess the, area would come up with it's like murderers or something but yeah yeah there Mm -hmm. are people that do the same kind of shit all the time and they get caught for it eventually Mm -hmm. like this this is this is fairly common on criminal sexual assault cases for what it's worth Uh, there are people have different kinks they they get off on certain things and yes much like a civil attorney is going to do everything they can to turn this into he said times 21 c she says uh, in the criminal context, you do see it a little bit more frequently, uh, where as you start talking to different victims that the person has had over the course of time, there are substantial number of similarities between how they're doing these things, how they prepare for them, what they're wearing at the time, uh, sometimes smells that they smell, uh, and they will try and use that to then bolster the credibility of the original witness to make it more likely. Now the judge is going to give you orders that you can't use this to show that they were guilty of this thing just because they did some this other thing. Uh, but there's, there's just so many exceptions that are going to let that stuff in. Um, so it's, it's not common. I, I can't think of another case like this one, but especially when you're talking about sex cases in general, yes, people have their thing and you know, they're going to make a real big deal about how this is Deshaun's thing. And I think it, it boils more down to power necessarily than sexuality, but that's going to be what I think they make this chorus happen throughout this case, whether it stays civil or goes criminal, is that this is a predator who was just didn't care if he made someone uncomfortable. He clearly knew he made someone uncomfortable because he's apologized for it. He's warned people that others have been uncomfortable, and yet, at least the allegation is, he still went forward and did these things. Uh, so it, it's, it's, it's a unique case. Don't get me wrong, but there are, if I think of one area of law that I practice, it's definitely sex cases where you see this stuff come up more frequently. And of course this case does have sexual overtones, undertones. It's about sex. And I don't think either side, neither side is going to be arguing that he doesn't act the same way every time he goes to a masseuse, pretty much. There's going to be, they're going to be arguing about what that way is. They're going to say, like, on one side, they're saying, oh, he sexually assaults all these masseuses. The other side's going to be saying, no, he just likes having his dick out at every masseuse. And look, all these masseuses say that's normal. And then it becomes this kind of weird situation of them kind of acting like the masseuses that are accusing him are overreacting to something. And there is some merit to that idea that you can establish this this uh, argument 
that he acts in a certain way that he knows makes people uncomfortable, but that doesn't make him a sexual assaulter. He's like, look, I like to have my glutes and my groin massaged. I don't know how to ask for this in a non-awkward way. Sorry, you might accidentally touch my dick while you're doing it. That's kind of my, that was my initial interpretation. The first couple that was of me months. on cases one through three as well. Right. Same. Like, yeah, that's, that was my first reaction was maybe he's just like legitimately an awkward dude that doesn't know how to ask for a groin massage and he needs one. But man, the more it came out and especially we started getting to much more serious allegations. Uh, one, there was the one that was an allegation of forced oral sex. Once you get to that kind of allegation, all bets are off. Because that's when you're bringing in legitimate sexual assault, the actual civil... The definition uh, civil, the Yeah, law. the actual civil definition of sexual assault. Uh, that's where it starts getting really bad. So, um, getting along those lines, there's a question... FBA asked some other questions. I think we answered all those. Uh, Nick asked... Do you have any idea about the precedent of civil cases and punishment stemming from them? I assume he means just about this type of case. I think, uh, he, I think he means in general, and I, we, we certainly, in my recollection, haven't seen anything like this that the NFL has purely considered civil stuff. Uh, but we have seen Ezekiel Elliott get popped with suspensions for things that never even turned into uh, a civil, much less a criminal case. So there's certainly precedent yeah. that just because no lawsuit happens doesn't mean you're going to escape without punishment. So in, in that way, I do think we have seen some precedent saying the league is willing to consider these. Now, I am, I'm a Zeke hater on the server, which is weird because I'm Reek's biggest defender. But I think, I think oftentimes Zeke's just an insufferable asshole in a lot of ways, <laughs> pardon my French. Uh, but at the end of the day... They looked at him as a repeat offender because it was just thing after thing after thing. And I think that they got to the point with him where it was less about, you know, what he did in that one particular thing, but more just their way of saying, dude, fucking stop already. Like, we have to hit you with this because otherwise your name's just going to keep popping up in the news over and over again. But that's obviously on a, on a when you're comparing the severity of that case versus this case. Uh, it's much different. And so uh, I, all bets are off. I don't think we have any precedent that's going to guide us on what they're willing to do or not. I think one thing that Scott and I will probably both agree on, the NFL does not like to have the shield sullied at yeah. all. And so if this becomes too much fire for them to take, they will do what they need to do to protect themselves. And that's not what the worried. personal conduct policy is. That is oh, yeah, exactly. it's not, it's not you did something illegal, you get in trouble. It's, you brought negative PR to the league, you get in trouble. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you were even the cause of the negative attention. If you're the if you're involved in it, if you they look at you and say you just keep giving us negative PR, they're going to punish you for it. And, and it, I don't they don't they don't fair. have precedent to necessarily treat Watson as a repeat offender in the way that they treated Zeke like it. But when you have 21 allegations, they can bend it under those rules to do whatever they wanted. Whether that's six games, eight games, twelve games, a year—I don't know if we've ever seen a two-year suspension other than Josh Gordon, uh, which was just a sheer a series of of multiple suspensions and indefinite suspensions. Uh, but I don't—I don't know. I, none of us really know 
but it's it's going to be interesting to see whether or not they're willing to weather the storm on this because unless they settle quickly, this is not going to be over by football season, guys. Absolutely. And that kind of, we kind of already touched on Solar's question and Burns' question here. Burns was asking about the Houston PD conflict of interest. We talked about that. Solar was asking about Busby trying to have this tried in the court of public opinion. That's kind of what we were going into with the NFL can do whatever they want. Uh, McCheesit was the one who asked about OJ and the difference mm-hmm. between civil and criminal. Anything else? Well, uh, Adam Seelersman led with not Watson related. So we'll double back yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm just skimming if we got anything more Watson related. Someone yeah, asked. So Noob does fantasy posted an article here, and that we've already kind of talked about this, but the 18 massage therapists with names attached. Uh, one of the things I want to point out, they're making a big deal about, oh, well, our people are brave enough to put their names on this. Look at any Deshaun Watson thread on Twitter right now. Look at even just our server and how we've talked about it and had some blowups in here. There are a lot of people who are outright calling these women uh, gold diggers, money grubbers, any any fucking bad name under the sun when they're called Jane Doe. So they're, in a way, they're, the news is making it a, at least a big deal about the fact that they put their names on this. I don't know a single woman who would want their name attached to this, whether it happened or not, because every single person is going to be looking at them under a microscope. Their DMs are going to be full of hate from any number of Texans fans uh, or just Watson fantasy owners, because you guys are fucking ruthless sometimes. Uh, So, you know, I don't don't consider that there are 18 names attached to this uh, to be significant in any way. Uh, I do think that Scotty brought up a really good point that they're going to, and that's literally my job on the defense side of thing is to poke holes in the prosecution's case. Uh, you've got 18 people who are massage therapists who are willing to say he didn't do a damn thing to me that made me feel uncomfortable. That does not seem uh, consistent with what I know of him. And some of the things that they're saying are weird, aren't so weird. Uh, I missed this earlier. One of the little bits of details in all of the allegations that I found to be kind of strange. And and I was reminded whenever I looked at the title of this, 18 massage therapists with names attached. One of the things and one of the themes that we have seen throughout the 21 cases that have been filed against him is many of them are not massage therapists. I don't know how to pronounce Eucharistic health. I, I, I don't know. He's, he's DMing people that are not necessarily massage therapists and asking for other things or asking for massage massages from them, even though they're not massage therapists. And that, in a lot of ways, can be looked at as predatory behavior. And in fact, if I'm Busby or I'm the prosecution, I'm going to try and point that out. Hey, I don't care if there's 18 massage therapists. Yeah, maybe he was figuring out that massage therapists weren't willing to do what he wanted to do and weren't willing to let him bully them around. And so what did he start doing? He started sliding into the DMs of these other people who, you know, do these other things and saying, well, could you give me a massage anyway? Uh, A lot of these women were also not necessarily well-known massage therapists in their cities. Uh, They're not known for it. They were small businesses. And so if I'm the prosecutor on the case, if I'm Busby, I'm going to be pointing out that 
here he is bringing these people in to do a job that's not even their damn job. And he's bullying them around because they are counting on the fact that, oh, well, maybe if I can have this high profile client, maybe my business will take off. So uh, I skipped over that earlier, but it was something as I started reading through the different complaints and I've read through most of them at this point, the formal filings, uh, where when you start picking up some of those hints, it, it just struck me as odd that a lot of these people don't even specialize in massage and they're not licensed massage therapists. Uh, all right. Running down the list still. Uh, Solar asked earlier what the definition of non-suited is, because I think you were using that term a bit. So non-suits where you just kill your, your lawsuit. Uh, it could be because, like Scotty mentioned earlier, suddenly his client was outed as maybe not being fully uh, truthful with him. And so he no longer believed in the merits of the suit. So he has two options at that point, three options, I suppose. Uh, he can go forward on a much weaker case that he doesn't like anymore uh, against his own moral compass, so to say. Uh, number two is that he can potentially consider uh, settlement offers to to then non-suit and settle. Or number three, uh, I guess four parts actually, three is just non-suit and say, you know what, my name's on this lawsuit, I'm out. Go hire your own attorney. We haven't killed your ability to file suit. Uh, but number four, I think, is probably a little more used in those scenarios is where the attorney just backs off the case and withdraws off the case and the person can go hire wherever they want to take over the case if they wanted to. But Scotty can correct me on that. Non-suit is definitely a civil term. I'm probably tossing it out a little more loosely than it actually is. To be honest, it's one I never use. Gotcha. Like I know, I know what it is. I just don't use it. I just like talk about withdrawing cases or voluntarily dismissing cases uh, most often with a settlement. It can be with mm -hmm. or without prejudice, which is yeah. whether or not you're allowed to refile it later. If I file a lawsuit and suddenly decide, like, man, we should not have filed this right now, I can withdraw it without prejudice, refile it again later, cause them within time limits to file it. Yeah. Uh, that counts as non-suited, so does settling the case with prejudice where you can't file it again. That also counts as non-suited. It's anything that ends a lawsuit. Uh, and let's see... Uh, Alb is commenting on your voice. What's that? Thought you would sound more Texan. Well, I, think, I think I think that's about it for all the Watson questions we've had. I don't see any more down here. Yeah, I think we gave it a pretty thorough rundown of what we think of the details, what we think the so major issues are. It looks like Leroy are. actually. Uh corrected me so mike vick missed two years was he suspended for two years or did jail he miss two years <laughs> yeah like i don't know that there was necessarily a suspension versus he i mean he was technically he suspended during that, that time and was confined within a you know a prison so uh, <laughs> burris shot himself so there was some rehab there yeah <laughs> that, that's basically like being suspended yeah i'm still scrolling so i'm trying to see if we missed anything yeah I Okay, so uh, NBC's alter ego. Hopefully it's not too reductive, but I'd love to hear your gut check percentage chance from y'all on the possible outcomes in the end. So, Scotty, this is something you and I touched on a little bit here tonight, but what would you have as the percentage as far as plays again versus not plays again? Because I know we're kind of, we're different on this. Just getting into a little more detail on it, it's just saying that 
first of all, I'll say I think there's a 90% chance these settle, at least 90%. And that will affect whether or not he plays again and what the odds are, because like we already talked about, settlement leaves a lot of things unknown still. Mm-hmm. I would put it at probably around 60 to 70% he plays again in my mind. I don't know how to say that. lower from the other day. I think lower you had it. Yeah, I had it higher the other day. I've read more. (laughs) I've I've thought about it more. And this conversation alone is putting me lower. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure what it's doing to our audience. closer to 50-50 for what it's worth. Mm. Yeah, I'm a little bit higher just because I think that just in terms of generally will he play again, we could be looking at three, four years down the line when it's like he's been suspended for that long and he files for reinstatement and the league finally goes, okay, it's been long enough that people have forgotten about this. We can go ahead and let him back. You know, that's very possible to me. Maybe. Uh, and this is and this is where we're all just all guessing. Scotty and I what, what the difference is before and after Me Too, uh, where it's just there's been this social movement uh, and things have changed. And so... Uh, maybe it should have always been this way, but it's it, we're we are in a very different world now than we were two or three years ago before you had the Bill Cosby's of the world uh, being charged with a crime that was alleged to have occurred twenty years ago. Uh, who's that fucking Hollywood douchebag? Uh, Weinberg Weinstein. Wein, yeah, no. Harvey, Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein. Yeah. Is it Har- Harvey. Harvey I think you're right. Harvey Weinstein. Pretty sure he's like Weinstein Productions, isn't it? Maybe. Yeah, you're probably right. So, you know, Google it real fast. I got a computer. Most of these cases are happening, and you just, yeah. So Nick confirmed it's Weinstein. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't. I don't know what they're going to do at this point, but that's why I say, when when you're looking at the game plan here, these Cosby started off as you know a 20 year old allegation. Uh, and and here we are. He's now a convicted rapist, sexual assault. Uh, it would not shock me if the DA's office is trying to find out more about this case. Uh, it's not to say every DA is chasing a headline, but one of the things that I, I kind of got into an argument, I think on Reddit with somebody, about prosecutors not liking to lose. I have not seen that. And oh, look, no lawyer likes to lose, guys. Uh, our profession is filled for the most part with type A personalities to a large degree uh, and we want to win. But I don't, especially when we're talking about prosecutors that I've seen both in the family violence unit and the sex units, uh, they're not afraid to lose. One of the common things I said, if I had a case that I knew was shitty, but I felt like it needed to be tried was I'd rather have a jury come back not guilty than to let your guy walk on this thing. I want him to have 12 people over there thinking about what he did and him worrying that my life might change after this trial. Because in a large way, and this is what they teach you in prosecution school and trainings to to a degree, is you're fighting not just for this victim, but for every victim that might come. And that's something you've seen in Busby's uh, thing is, look, we're trying to protect you know, anybody else who's out there who might have gotten a massage from this guy because he's a predator. So they're willing to take the loss if it means that this person, even if they win, even if they walk out with a not guilty and they get their life back, the next time he walks into a massage 
studio, whatever you want to call it, uh, he's going to be thinking about this and going, well, I'm going to let them use a blanket this time. No towels for me. Thanks, guys. And so because we put him in that position to worry about his career, his life, whether he's going to be on the sex offender registry, et cetera, maybe we change his behavior in the future as a worst case scenario. Uh, oftentimes you're looking at people who truly think rightfully or, or wrongly that they're legitimately saving not just the victim here, but every future victim. Uh, and there is a lot of truth to that. Don't get me wrong. When I speak about family violence cases, there are, in my opinion, some false allegations and cases that are just not good that shouldn't be brought due to discretion. But that's that's a whole other thing. But just just realize my when we're talking about Harris County, all the different counties in Texas, they're not going to be afraid to bring this case because there's a black eye, in my opinion. And and Scotty, you've obviously had some conversations with your DA buddy mm -hmm. who's in juvenile. Have you gotten a sense of that? I know they don't like to lose. Like I said, I'm not saying they <laughs> love losing, but uh, they all think they're righteous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everything oh. they're doing is for the greater good. Uh, <laughs> I could never get in prosecution. But yeah, more or less like in line with what you said. I don't really got much else to add on it. I mean, my friend, I, everything she tells me about is very specific to her area. Yeah. But, uh, Bryce, yeah. this is not legal advice. Yeah, this is, oh, definitely not. Please don't interpret <laughs> it as such. <laughs> we are not your lawyers. Uh, we got Cheech asking about Ben Roethlisberger. Do we think he wouldn't have played again if this had been happened today? So Roethlisberger, if I recall, he had two different sexual assault allegations around the same time, and he got suspended like four games, five games, something like that. Uh, no, I, I, I don't think so. I think, I think had Big Ben happen today in the age of social media, where these things blow up, especially post Me Too, uh, I don't think so. He was he was so young in his career; it just would have been so much easier for for someone to cut bait on him at that point. Well, that wasn't that was pretty far into his career. I'm looking at it now; it was 2009, 2010. Okay. So he was already a Super Bowl champion, well-known guy. Okay, my bad. I yeah, he. Uh, yeah, but the big difference with something like that was, yeah, I looked it up. He was suspended for six games. It got reduced to four. Uh, he, the big thing with that is that it was just two allegations and kind of like our initial reaction to when there was just one or two allegations against Watson, it's much easier to write off one allegation or two allegations have nothing to do with each other. When you're just looking at one accuser, but yes, it's, so it's bad, but yeah. Yeah. So I do agree with you that the, the number, the sheer number this is how I, I had a client a while back where we just had so many cases that were pending against him. He'd bond out of jail. He'd go get arrested for something else. And, and I, I just looked at him at some point. I said, look, dude, we have some good cases. I could win these cases. The more you keep going out and getting arrested, the more perfect I have to be over the course of time. Like, I can't just win one case. I have to win every single one of these because the state is going to try and fuck you for the other six cases that they have pending against you, regardless of what happens on this one. And I think one of the other things that we're not necessarily taking into consideration it, when we're talking about what if Big Ben happened now, 
God, someone in the chat probably knows more about the Big Ben case than I do. I'm literally just skimming the Wikipedia article yeah. while we talk. <laughs> One of the allegations, if I recall correctly, involved something at a club where the girl's friend was outside trying to get through security, saying that the other girl didn't want to go. Exactly, cornered her in the bathroom is what Adam Steeler fan, and Steeler fan, he would know, uh, is the allegation. What would happen today in 2021 if that is happening? This woman would have her fucking cell phone in her hand recording this. And so that's why I also say like, yes, one to two accusations versus 21 does carry some weight. But I also think if you had something like that where a woman is trying to check on her friends and is recording it and broadcasting it to to Facebook Live or whatever, uh, I just don't know that you I don't know that there'd be any coming back from that when you have two security guards trying to keep someone out of a bathroom uh so i don't know I, I i tend to think he wouldn't but maybe i am overestimating the nfl uh because like scotty said yeah i i think he would have gotten a longer suspension for sure because of mm-hmm. personal conduct policy has completely changed instead and sexual assault specifically is talked about uh i, don't, I think he still would have played just because of the way those cases went like, I'm just kind of skimming over it. You know, the first one kind of settled without anything else coming out. The second one, I think he was, they ended up dropping the charges against him. Like, there was actually a criminal investigation. Yeah. And even if that doesn't really mean much, people always think dropping charges is like declaring them innocent. It's always yeah. a nice PR thing. Yeah, it's just like it didn't have the same negative overtones. Maybe it would have if it happened today. Maybe it would have been a lot bigger. It probably would have. Uh, I think about, I think a year suspension would have been very possible, probably most likely. I think he still would have played though. Uh, just because everything would have been resolved. He'd be like, look, nothing came of this. Let me play again. That's not going to happen with Watson. It's too much. <laughs> yeah. That, that's my worry is he has to avoid so much liability here. Uh, he has to avoid being charged criminally. And if he's charged criminally, he can't be found guilty in any of them. And how many of these can he be found civilly liable for before the NFL says no? Is it one? It might be one. If it's one of the bad ones, if it's the one where he's forcing oral sex and the person says that she was so terrified that she blacked out and she defecated on herself, if if it's liable on that one, that might be enough just as one case. Is it two cases? Is it three? Is it 10 cases? Where do they draw the line? And I think they're going to have such a hard time answering where do we draw the line that I think the easy PR move is to just say, you know what, indefinite suspension. And maybe they come back and rethink it two or three years down the line. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, but how many times has Josh Gordon been reinstated at this point? Yeah, yeah, I know. We're talking weed versus sexual. Yeah, I know. But it's just like that type of like how unclear this whole process is. Yeah. This like they can just suspend and unsuspend people at any time and nobody knows exactly why. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing is like it still applies because that's the same process you have to go through even if it's a completely different scenario uh, but I think we've run through most of the relevant stuff and answer some of these other questions uh, okay. if you don't care about things that aren't Deshaun Watson related no, I'm you can always I mean it's more for our listeners if anyone wants to drop out and be like I don't care about these lawyers talking about random other bullshit uh, we got a question from Betsy. Uh, let's see. 
What's the single most difficult ethical determination you've had to make in your practice? Ethical determination. This is a you question. That's a weird one. I mean, I would think of that as deciding what clients to take. Uh, like what types of cases I want to work on, what type of clients I want to have. Every single case is an ethical determination to an extent. I talked about that woman. I had to make the decision to drop her as a client because I thought she was lying to me. That was not an easy choice to make. That was this woman in my office crying, telling me about what had happened to her, still saying that this all happened even though her story didn't line up, and me basically having to show her the door. I don't know if that counts as ethical determination as much as difficult, but <laughs> yeah, you know, mm. it's there's a lot of stuff like that. There's so much of it. It's just at some point you also have to put ethics aside to an extent. I'm not going to say I act like I act intentionally unethically, but I've talked about it. Like there are things you do as a litigator to push the other side that may not be the best intentioned, may not be based on the best law, but you do it anyway. And those aren't hard choices to make usually. You just think, what can I get away with? So I, I criminal defense is kind of a, a, a different segment. I, I'm prohibited almost from having ethics. Uh, the one rule that I have to follow is that I cannot knowingly perpetrate a fraud on the court. It does not matter to me if my client is guilty. I don't give a shit. I hate to say it like that. That's not the job. Uh, but if my client early on in the case tells me, hey, I I did it, fucked up. I know I did it. I just wanted the best plea bargain possible. Well, good. I, I, can, I can work on that. Uh, but then later on, let's say we don't get a plea bargain we like, and he wants to go to trial. And now he wants to testify and tell the court and tell the jury, no, I didn't do it. Here's, you know, here's what I was doing that night and wants to make up this story and just try and convince people that they can trust him. Uh, the legal rules prohibit me at that point from perpetrating a fraud in the court. So instead of me being able to talk to my client, ask questions and have them answer questions, I have to do something that is very different than anything else you see in trial. And, and no juror knows what's happening unless they go Google it later where they know an attorney, but every other person in the courtroom knows what is happening at that moment. The judge knows, the prosecutor knows. You can't really question yeah. uh, the defendant on what's what. why is this happening this way? Yeah, your attorney didn't ask you a single question. Why is that? Can't, can't ask that. Uh, but I would just have to, instead of being able to ask a series of questions of my client, stand up and say, Your Honor, at this time, my client would like to, uh, to present a pre-prepared statement to the court and to the jury. And I just sit my ass back down. Uh, that's the only ethical determination that I really have uh, is that I, no one's taken my bar card. If 10 years from now, this guy's still in prison, he goes, yeah, I told my, I told my lawyer that I did it early on. And, and, you know, he still let me get up there and testify. And then they go look at my notes or something like that. And they, and that's backed up. I could lose my bar card because now I've gone past being an advocate Zealous representation is required whether my client is guilty or not guilty. Don't care, not part of the job. But if I have now, by asking these questions when I know my client's intent is to lie, I've become a part of the fraud and the perjury that's being perpetrated on the court. So 
that's that's pretty much it as far as my area. I've never been faced with a, a personal injury or a family law case where I've had ethical considerations. I got plenty of clients I don't like. I don't care. Is your bill paid? Doesn't matter. Like I'm not, I'm not I get to make decisions about what I think the right path in a case is, but I do give my clients some leeway. I just consider that part of the job. But they're much like Busby is a very different attorney than Rusty Harden. Scotty Enter is a different one than me. Yeah. We all have our styles. Yeah. I mean, it's a similar thing with me though, is that every single client I'd sit them down and like, you need to be one hundred percent honest with me. If you have some bad fact, you tell it to me. If you did something horrible, you tell it to me. That doesn't mean anyone else is going to find out. I'm going to keep this confidential. And if I know what the problem is, I can avoid it coming out. I don't have to lie. I can just manipulate things in a way where that won't come out. Yeah, I'm much better keeping something under wraps if I've got six months to figure out how to do it than if you didn't tell me about it and then it gets sprung on me. Uh, I can I can work on strategies to keep it out if the other side knows about it uh, or to make sure I don't inadvertently ask something that leads to that. So always tell the truth to your attorneys. And in fact, it's in my contract that if you lie to me, I can get off the case if I want to. Yeah. And like every most retainers will have language like that Uh, in civil cases as well. My retainers always do. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you are not cooperating the way you're supposed to cooperate, you're done. And if we go forward and I find out that you're lying, like that one woman, we're done. Like, I'm going to mm-hmm. find a way to get off the case and you're going to have to go find another attorney. And they're going to wonder why this other attorney who they respect dropped you. Yeah. And you're not going to find another attorney very easily. Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen that so many times at the courthouse where a guy shows up representing himself being like, this attorney dropped me and this other attorney dropped me and I can't find another one. Well, you're oh, yeah. probably a problem client. Free legal advice. If you call an attorney looking to hire them and say, oh, I had to fire my last three attorneys, you're probably going to have five to six more attorneys just hang up the phone and say, hey, man, no offense, I'm not taking your case. Yeah. Why? Because clearly you're a problem client at that point. Uh, so we we do look out for those red flags. Yeah, I was suing a business once that I think they went through three law firms during the course of the litigation because each one wasn't enough of assholes for them. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. you're not aggressive enough. I want you. Oh, you're not aggressive enough. I want you. Until they got the biggest assholes they could find. And we had to deal with them. Yeah. And that's just how some clients are. Mm-hmm. It's easier for defense because they pay so much money. Yeah. Because if they're going to pay hourly, then hell yeah, I'll take you on. Yeah. And that's honestly, uh, it looks like a follow-up question got asked down at the bottom. Like, what would I charge on a case like this? On a case like this with a guy making that much money, uh, I'm not quoting a flat fee. If I do, it's an ungodly number. Uh, I'm going to have him probably put down a substantial retainer and I'm going to bill at whatever my hourly rate is on that kind of case. Uh, where if I, cause once again, this, where this, this is where it does go into what type of attorney, just like Scotty said, they were shopping for the asshole. Uh, and so one of the strategies you can do is if, especially if you have more money than the other party, you can just beat them into submission and run the other side's retainer out to where they can't afford to keep paying their attorney. And now it's just me bullying, you know, somebody who doesn't have an attorney. And so on a, on a case like Watson, I hate to say it, I, I, I just charge a retainer with an hourly rate, even though that's not normally how I charge my criminal cases. Uh, you don't know how much time you're going to spend on this case. You don't know how often Buzzy's, Busby's going to be filing a new motion. 
you don't know if it's going to turn into a criminal case as well and you're going to have to go present testimony to the grand jury there's no way to guess how many hours you're going to work on this case uh and rusty harden is not hard up for well-paying clients uh, so it would not shock me if yeah. he had to put down something like a two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollar retainer, oh, and he's billing at five hundred dollars, seven hundred dollars per hour. Oh, five hundred like would be low. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that would be like you're. You a lot of people don't know actually how much attorneys normally make. Like partners like him that are like well known. You know, I would. I I don't know for sure. I would say seven hundred is a reasonable number. Yeah. Uh, could be more than that just because he's so prominent. Uh, but that's about what p- lawyers and I know in the field I'm in, well, that's about what they would be with that experience. Uh, Go suggest, I'm just at the bottom of the chat right now. We'll get yeah, back. I'm, uh, let's see. Down there too. <laughs> uh, so do either of you know any personal cases where a lawyer won their defense and their defendant later did something important? You ever have those can't sleep at night cases where you don't feel good about the person you helped? And if so, what is your go-to pick-me-up? Got it? You don't, but I know people within my firms that did. Uh, just the types of cases I work on, that doesn't happen because I'm typically plaintiff's attorney for aggrieved employees or people with civil rights claims. You know, there's not much that could happen with, like, a dude who got beat up by the cops. I helped him get money, and now he goes and blows it on whatever that's not my problem yeah uh so i don't have things like that but i do uh one of the criminal defense attorneys in my firm had a big thing with this that he helped somebody get off for drunk driving who went later went on to kill someone in a drunk driving accident and he was absolutely devastated by that he was rethinking his entire career after that uh incredibly nice guy he's one of the greatest attorneys i know he's a wonderful guy And that beat him up so much to find out that happened. And I mean, that's one of the things, it's the risk you run with this field though. Like you represent your client's interests. You kind of have to separate yourself to an extent. And if you You don't look, that's also one of the reasons why this profession is burdened with alcohol and substance abuse so much is that people struggle to separate. Uh, I've never had a case like that. I, I don't know if I would be burdened by it if it did happen i i don't think i would be but you just never know till you're in it guys i i you know putting my listening to scotty talk about the guy at his firm i would feel bad about that but i would also in my head right now just thinking about it logically go yeah i did my job i argued the state didn't have their case when they charged him it's not my fault that he went out and did something bad later uh, this isn't, you know, minority report. We're prosecuting future crimes. Yeah, um, a lot of us think of ourselves as tools. We mm-hmm. are not the ones making these claims. We are not the ones actually in the courtroom being tried. We are just representatives of those people talking for them. Mm-hmm. We are handling all the nuances that they don't have the experience to handle. But this is not us doing it. It is them through us. Yeah, that's kind of how you think about it a lot of the times. When I'm being a total asshole on a case, I'm not being an asshole. My client is being an asshole and using me to do it. Yeah. Most of my regrets ghosts involve positions I took when I was a prosecutor and cases that I chose to try and potentially got guilty verdicts on where knowing what I know now about how my thoughts on justice have changed, 
uh, and on potentially areas of law have changed where looking back, I really wish I would have dismissed a case or, you know, just even if it had to go to trial, maybe I just wouldn't have fought as hard because there, there's one DWI in particular that I think of when I talk about regret, so to say, where I did go to trial and we got the guilty verdict. And at the time, it's like my third trial. I was a baby. I didn't know shit. Uh, and so looking back, knowing what I know about that case, knowing what I know about the defendant and the personal tragedies that he had had in his life, uh, there was a better way to handle that other than taking the case to trial and have him convicted. But at the time, I didn't know enough to know better. And I didn't have the discretion to make that decision, even if I did know better. Uh, and so those those are more of the regrets that I have that, that I still kind of beat myself up on occasion. Uh, I don't I don't I don't know if, if I were to get somebody off on murder and three years from now, they murder someone else. I don't know that I would struggle with that because yeah, literally the title, my, I'm required to zealously advocate. And I wish people in our profession were better. Even if he, hey, even if you murdered someone the second time, doesn't mean he did the first time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, you can e easily justify it to yourself. I don't work in that field partially because I don't want to deal with that. I just don't like criminal law. I don't. I don't like the stakes of it. I love working in a field where all that's at stake is money. Because yeah. if you lose, you lost money. Who cares? Yeah, I, I prefer so representing care. guilty clients for that reason. I don't want the burden of what if the jury gets it wrong and convicts a man that's actually not guilty. That would that would tear me up. I don't like that. Uh, but it's it's yep. once again part of the job. I like uh, this question from Betsy. What's the funniest way a client of yours wholly fucked over their case? I got a good one for that. Uh, <laughs> it's a way a client almost wholly fucked over a case I had. I mentioned I did some police brutality cases back in the day. It's, I haven't done this in a while, but uh, I had a police brutality case. We were, I think, three weeks from trial. And this client comes into my office and says you know i've been thinking about the trial what i want to do and i'm thinking about declaring myself a sovereign citizen oh god <laughs> so for people that don't know sovereign citizenship it's is... okay the phones are spying on them right now youtube's gonna oh. you know have some sovereign citizen citizen videos it's, later it's uh complete bullshit. it is a bizarre legal theory that spread over the internet from people who believe they have a constitutional right to basically detach themselves from society and be a citizen of their own country that they are the only inhabitant of. Like these people will go out and destroy their social security card, destroy their driver's license, and say, Your courts have no power over me because I'm not a citizen of this country. And yet I'm still allowed to live here and take advantage of all the infrastructure, whatever. It's really dumb. Yeah. It's incredibly dumb and hilarious it's these and people. they latched onto weird things oh there's there's gold fringe on the flag that's sitting behind the judge that means this is an admiralty court uh i don't see a boat around here i haven't sailed a boat in a while you have no power over me judge like it those people are crazy yeah, yeah. i want to find there's a great uh like court law court video 
uh, YouTube video that has one of those guys in it. That's fantastic. I'll find it and post it in here afterwards. But basically this client, you know, came in and told us that three weeks before trial, he wanted to like cut off all his ties to society and be a sovereign citizen. He thought it would help his case. Don't know how it would help his case, considering he was suing the local government. But that's what he thought, and he was steadfast in it. So I had to bring in our top partner, who's like the head of the case, who had to sit him down and just be like, look, if you do this, we are just leaving the case. We are not doing the trial. And you need to wait till after the trial. Do whatever the hell you want after we get you your money. You like making money. We like making money, too. Mm -hmm. Let us make money. And if you do this, I guarantee you will lose. <laughs> Basically just convinced him to put it off. And we got through the trial. We won. Never heard from him again. I hope he's doing well wherever he is. At least he had a pile <laughs> of ash to start his new life. Yeah. <laughs> that guy was nuts. And I was so, that was such a fun thing in the office that day. It was horrible, but hilarious. Yeah. My, mine's not nearly as fun or funny as that. Yeah. Anytime you make a call from a jail facility, the very first thing you hear on the phone is, this is a recorded line, blah, 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 blah. And it's amazing how many people do not fucking listen to that. Um, so yeah, when you're talking about shooting yourself in the foot, I, I can't name the number of clients. We're later on in the case and I'm getting delivered discovery because we're prepping up for trial. My client told me he's completely innocent for months and months and months on end. And one of the last things the DA does before trial is go, goes ahead and requests all of the jail calls and they're slowly but surely listening to them after they get them. And then here I have 10 phone calls where my client's confessing to it, to his mom, to his girlfriend, apologizing to the victim. And it's like, well, you couldn't just shut the fuck up. Free legal advice. <laughs> this is very good legal advice. Just shut the fuck up. Don't talk yep. to cops. Don't make confessions to other people around you. Just stop. Uh, that reminds that me of uh, that reminds me of the first episode of the league. Yeah, with uh, they're like, if you guys haven't seen the league, I hope all of you have. The very first episode is two of the league members, a prosecutor and a defense attorney. Well, he's a guy doing defense as pro bono at the time, negotiating a plea deal for a client right in front of them. He turns to him and it's kind of like, you really had to rob the second liquor store? Why not stop at one? I stole Kit Kat last week. Nobody cares. It's Stay like, small. Stay small, man. It's just like, come on. You don't remember looking at the camera and waving, hey, it's me, Ernesto. Yeah, that's. I love that scene so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else do we got? You ever shit your pants? Yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> we all get old. This is actually what well, I consider an interesting story. It's not my best poop story. I'm not going to tell that one tonight. Maybe next time. <laughs> uh, it was law school. We had been drinking a lot, as law students tend to do. Uh, and I lived on the third floor of an apartment complex at the time. Uh, didn't have an elevator, so you're walking upstairs. And, you know, you don't like to take a shit at the bar. You just don't you're drinking it's a nasty club whatever it's just not a good place to take a poop uh so i've been holding it in for a while and i get home uh i'll plead the fifth as to whether or not i should have been driving but i get home and i'm walking up the stairs and as i round 
floor 2.5 and I'm going back up the cutback, turning to my apartment complex or my, my actual apartment at the top, the very cute girl that lived in the door across from me comes out right as I'm like clenching my butt cheeks together, hurrying up the stairs, trying to keep it all in. And like a little bit squirted out. And I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh God. So I just start waddling faster, get in my apartment as quick as possible. And I'll yes, in fact, there, there was a tiny bit of brown in there. So there yeah, hey, it happens to everyone, I hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my, I'm not nearly as exciting as that. I just had a really bad stomach infection in college and it made me, gave me some stomach issues. And I may have shit myself at some point. It's not exciting. Yeah, that's not. not it's not exciting at all, but the exciting part is that the stomach infection I had, uh, the medicine they had to give me had some ingredient in it that's also used in blue food coloring. So I was actually peeing blue. Ooh. It was absolutely awesome. And if it was a time when my pee would normally be yellow, it came out green. Yeah. So that's my story. That's way more awesome than shitting yourself. Yeah. <laughs> See. Uh, uh, do you feel your league mates generally treat you differently when they're trade negotiations as opposed to people who don't practice law? If so, this has caused you to miss out on an otherwise equal trade. I can't answer this one as much because most of my leagues are with lawyers. So. I, I, I don't think it does personally. I, I'm, yeah. I'm in plenty of lawyer leagues, don't get me wrong, but it, it, if you're in a lawyer league, you're all lawyers. Uh, and honestly, I, no one's the only time anyone ever comes to me with expertise advice is shit like this. Uh, but you know, no, I don't. I don't feel like I miss out on much. Uh, kind of one of the things ALB uh, mentioned was winning trades. I don't actually try and win trades, and I feel like I'm actually pretty easy to get trades done with because I'm willing to potentially overpay, and I work on those relationships. Uh, you find people that often are easy to trade with. And so you'll target that person. Hey, man, you've got these needs. I've got these needs. You're looking to go in this year. I'm looking to kind of rebuild a little bit. And and to me, I'm less concerned about winning the trade, more about cultivating that relationship. So we're able to keep trading for years down the road. Not like that in every league. Obviously, some leagues are tougher to trade in than others. Uh, I've lost just as many trades as I've won. I think anybody who plays in enough leagues has that happen. So, Yeah, I mean, it's... uh... I think that part of the aspect is it is that being a lawyer means you're a trained negotiator. You know, we've done classes on this stuff. We do it constantly in our work. We know how to talk to people. So you're not going to come into a situation where someone like goes and negotiate with you and they're nervous because you're a lawyer. You're going to make them feel comfortable because yeah. you're a lawyer. Like You know how to do that. I know how to manage expectations. I know how to see things from other people's perspectives. And to use that to my advantage, mm-hmm. uh, I have a very good reputation in my leagues. I'm known as a fair trader. I will walk someone through every single aspect of the trade and why I think it's good for me and good for them. And I'll be completely honest. And it leads to a lot of good trades. Yeah. Uh, it's just my style. I don't think being a lawyer has much to do with it other than training us in some of the at- tools we might use. And I, think, and I will say this I think maybe. Because we've seen those types of negotiations, uh, there's there's a saying in the law, or at least in family law, where uh, you know if you if you allow a judge to decide something, my client's probably going to be unhappy about some stuff. Your client's probably going to be unhappy about some stuff. 
But at the end of the day, that's probably unfair. And so I do think I kind of take that into my trade negotiations as well. Like, if I love this thing, then it probably wasn't fair in the first place. And I'm probably not going <laughs> to offer that. Uh, I pride myself in not sending what I consider to be shitty offers. Uh, I might not send my best offer first, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I do very much care about not offending the other party with my initial offer. Whereas I know a lot of non-lawyers, and this is one of my pet peeves, will just send some insulting offer to start the negotiation. And what they'll say, oh, I was trying to get the trying to get the conversation rolling. You did so by spitting in my face. Uh, yeah. That's not going to get me wanting to talk. And so I do think that we do have that people person persona and, and personality that we try and get through that. But I also then go into burn it down mode. If you spit in my face to start it, I'm going to shame you in front of the league. Now that is not relationship building, but <laughs> That's it you. might keep them from, I might save the other 11 people in my league from shitty offers. And that Maybe. might make them more likely oh, to trade with me. I've definitely done that in my league too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually, funny enough, think of it the other way is that doing so much fancy football for, you know, last 15 years has affected how I negotiate in my legal cases. Yeah. Like I, I went into the law already knowing how to negotiate a trade and it helped me. Like I think of when I go into a case, I think about how I would approach it in a fantasy trade sometimes. And it sounds dumb to some people, but to people who do a lot of trading, you know, it's intense and any negotiation is ultimately the same. It's just yeah. what's at stake. Uh, I'm not used to trading with total assholes who I don't want to trade with, but that's what I do in my civil cases all the time. When uh, we walk into a mediation, both sides just ask for the most extreme thing on one end and take forever to get to the middle. Yeah. Um, was there something so else? Adam actually just really bumped his question, and I'm hoping you know about this. I mm. want the NCAA yeah. and burn. So I'm I'm hopeful that you've read up on this case and have some thoughts on I it. I love this case actually. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm actually love following Supreme Court cases. I find them so interesting. I won't pretend to know every aspect of this, and I don't know all the precedents. It's been, you know, ten years since I took sports law, which is a class in law school you can take. Uh NCAA versus Alston. The current Supreme Court case just had oral arguments uh day yesterday or the day before. Uh basically it's an antitrust case, which are the monopoly cases. Antitrust law is about preventing businesses from creating monopolies. Every sport is a monopoly. We know that. MLB is a monopoly, NFL is a monopoly, they're all monopolies. We allow them because we like them. Basically, the MLB actually has an antitrust exemption. The NFL doesn't, but they effectively do because no one will sue them over it. Uh, that was one of the big things with the CBA negotiations years ago was that the Players Association did sue them over antitrust as a way to get leverage in their negotiations. Yeah. Uh, so the NCAA is accused of being an illegal monopoly that restricts trade. They restrict trade by limiting how much student-athletes can get. This specific case is about educational benefits. Basically, they're saying that, okay, we'll accept that you can't just straight pay players, but 
it's an illegal restraint on trade to not let us at least provide them with everything they need for an education, laptops, funding for student abroad, you know, all the food they need, that kind of stuff. And the Supreme Court heard the case after the lower court gave a very nuanced ruling that wasn't very clear on what they wanted, that both sides ended up appealing. But basically, the Supreme Court is hearing it now, and we don't know exactly what they're going to do. Based off the arguments, the conservative justices, which is like Gorsuch, Coney Barrett, Alito, you know, those guys, they were really hammering the NCAA in questioning. They're like, oh, well, why do you need this? Why do you get this protection? Because the NCAA is arguing that they need to have this restriction for their sport to exist, that college football will fall apart, no one will watch it, if student-athletes start getting paid or start getting these benefits, which is bullshit. We all know it's bullshit, and the conservative justices called it out as bullshit. It was now, okay. Brutal. So you actually you follow the Supreme Court more than I do. So yeah, one thing that's very common in appellate law is playing devil's advocate, so to say. So even though a judge is asking questions about something, it doesn't necessarily mean they're leaning that way. But it is helpful if the conservative justice, who you think might have ruled against it, uh, yeah. is is not seemingly by it, and it's not a question coming from a liberal justice, so to say. Yeah, and then Justice Breyer, who is one of the liberal justices, was one of the ones expressing hesitancy he's like oh i don't know if the court is the right person to like be deciding what amateurism means that if these are amateurs or professionals or whatever and that's the real issue i don't think it's a question of law at this point i think it's pretty clear that these benefits should be allowed just based off the law it's a matter of the supreme court and what they see as their role and what they want to do are they going to step in and make a change, they can very easily call this a political question and just say, we might think that this is wrong, but it's not for us to decide, it's for the legislature to decide. Yeah. That, I think, is one of the most likely results. But if they were going to do that, I wonder why they took it in the first that place. Was, that was my next question. Why take right. the case if you're just going to take The last case, uh, O'Bannon, I think it was called, they didn't take it specifically for that reason. Yeah. So... It makes me think that they might want to publish a broad decision on this one way or the other, or at least offer some guidance. Maybe they'll come up with a test that decides what they're allowed and what not. Maybe they'll just say it's all allowed. I don't know. I don't know which way it's going to go because it's what the court views themselves as. And we have a lot of new justices that we don't know a lot about how they view the role of the court, really. Yeah. We, we've gotten um, hints, but we don't know. Yeah. The full lexicon at this point, their decision. And this isn't a partisan issue, to make clear. This isn't like conservatives are going to rule one way, liberals are going to rule the other. Antitrust generally has never been that partisan of an issue. It has supporters on both sides on everything. So it's a really tough one to predict. The mere fact that they heard it and that they questioned the NCAA so harshly gives me hope. But... I can't say for sure that they're actually going to give us what we want or what the players yeah. want. <laughs> so, uh, I hope they do, and I hope it kills the NCAA, and I hope that we see the XFL actually come back or some other version. I don't really like Vince McMahon all that much, so fuck the XFL too. But I do think that uh, competition is a good thing. 
generally speaking. So, Absolutely. That's what the whole idea of our economy is built on. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to get here. Uh, I mean, obviously, it leads to all the natural consequences of, oh, like all these schools are going to be able to offer so much more because they're bigger and richer. My response is, how is that different from just regular students? Yeah. When I when I go to University of Florida, I expect more like amenities than I would get at university like Florida Gulf Coast University. It, it's, just, it's a shallow argument. I mean, yeah. we, we all know that Alabama is going to have better facilities than, you know, West Alabama. It just, it is what it is. You already have the haves versus the have nots. Uh, these small schools were never going to be taking the cream of the crop athletes anyway. They're not competing for the same athletes. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I wanted to burn it down. That I, is not a legal I, opinion. Just as a fun fact, I my first ever legal job was at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. The day I took that job, I got called to do an interview with the NCAA's general counsel office. And I ended up not going because I had already just accepted another job. And I'm like, think about what my life would have been if I had taken that one instead. Buddy, <laughs> you have an insider here. I I didn't I never even went to the interview, but I tend to nail my interviews, so I yeah. think I would have led to something good if I went there, but that would have been really interesting. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> uh, was there anything else in here? Tahia, I have friends and family pricing model. It involves charging three times as much. So, um, yeah, I will not be accepting friends and family questions anytime soon. Uh, I, I don't do it for a number of reasons. It changes the relationship. Uh, maybe if I've got friends who say, look, we just want to make a clean break. We're not arguing over anything. Um, maybe I'll do a real cookie-cutter divorce like that, but it's going to be with the understanding ahead of time that if y'all start arguing about anything, I'm out. Uh, you know, it's this is y'all are... One of you is hiring me to write this up. The other can hire their own attorney or they can look at it themselves. But I don't, the stress of taking a trial to, or a case to trial and having someone potentially be found guilty, it's already really stressful when it's somebody you don't know and don't care about. I, one of the reasons why I think it's easier for me to separate the morals and the ethics and the stuff that y'all were asking about earlier. I'm not invested. My my most common metaphor that I tell clients is I'm a I'm an empty fucking gun at the beginning of this case. Can I go rob a store with an empty gun? You're damn right I can, but I'm bluffing. If somebody else pulls a gun on me and I know I don't have a single bullet in there, I'm shooting blanks, guys. But the more evidence you give me over the course of time, whether it's text messages, phone call, GPS data, whatever it might be. It helps me fight the more real bullets I can shoot. Uh, I don't want to have the stress involved of having someone that I care about, their life on the line. And especially if it's somebody that I know or care about, or y'all have a child that's still going to be in my orbit. Even if I've got bullets in my gun, I don't want to shoot and destroy the other person. And then every time you come over to hang out, your kid's looking at me going, oh, fuck this guy, this guy got fucked over mom or something like that so me i don't take cases with people uh that i know especially well 
so I just always joke, oh yeah, I'll give you the friends and family discount for a real client. I'd charge you ten thousand, but you're for you thirty thousand, man. Yeah, and and then I'll just give them a list of names that I think will take really good care of them, where I can support them however I can throughout the case, but I know they're in good hands, and and I don't have to be the one sitting there worried about how this might affect our friendship in the future. So obviously it's a little different for me because I'm not doing criminal stuff. Uh, in employment law, I wouldn't say I've never represented someone I know in court, but I've offered plenty of advice to people I know. Because when you're an employment lawyer, it's the type of thing you can just like tell someone things like, hey, can you look at this contract for me and make sure I'm not signing something I shouldn't be? Or, hey, like I have this issue at work. Is it something I can do something about? That happens to me all the time. Yeah. Uh, and I do that a lot. Like literally two weeks ago, my brother's girlfriend's best friend sent me her employment contract to look over for her. And like was asking me for advice on like negotiating more benefits. Uh, that's the stuff I do all the time because a lot of my work is just advising people. Yeah. I do a lot. I do a lot of like business advising and counseling and just running people through stuff. Yeah, you and I just kind of live in different worlds. Very if much. Something like that, it's easy enough because I know that I've got the right answer waiting for them. Yeah. And it's not left up to somebody else to decide their fate, so uh, to say. I did represent a friend in landlord-tenant court once. That barely counts. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. fake court to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. We did have one question we missed from Solar. That talking about ethics again. Uh, DA is by name anyway, someone known as someone who separates ethics from fantasy football and presumably from law. Do you think this approach should be more or less common in fair fantasy leagues? So I, I do think it should be for what it's worth. Uh, and uh, I'm well known for that. I tend to target rookies who maybe fell in a draft due to, uh, you know, character concerns just because at the end of the day, the payoff versus the price could be very lucrative. Uh, the same thing could be said of Watson right now, guys. People are giving him away in some leagues. Uh, what you saw with Tyreek is literal leagues where people are like, I do not want this guy on my roster. Full stop, the end. Uh, it can be a buying opportunity. Go If you, if you are that type, then go, end. Uh, sorry, I'm reading the chat now. Uh, but... Go and make some low ball offers. You never know. But in the end, this is we play this for fun in theory. Don't get me wrong. We hope to win money. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're playing this for fun. And if it's not fun for you to root for a guy you think is an asshole, I don't own a lot of Zeke. Why? Because I think Zeke's an asshole. But if the price goes low enough, then I might you know, buy him. Uh, when Reek's value crashed, I bought uh, when I saw the writing on the wall or what I consider to be the writing on the wall for Watson, I sold. But I will probably buy a couple shares by the time this thing is all said and done, assuming I like the price. I, I think if you're if you're looking at this like running your team like a business, yes, use it as a buying opportunity. Uh, you're not going to get the type of upside you'd get in the third and fourth round of rookie drafts uh, from from guys who didn't fall due to character concerns. Because if they fell as far as they did in the real NFL draft, yeah, they've got a short leash, but they might have the actual ability of a first, second, or third round draft pick, and you're not getting those at, at that point in the draft. So 
I do, but it's supposed to be fun. So if it's not fun rooting for a guy who thinks an asshole, then don't do it. That's just how I look at it. Yeah, I don't give a shit who's on my team. They're scoring yeah. points. That's all I care about. Yeah. They're not That's making specific. extra money because I own them in 40% of my leagues. Yeah. So Tyreek Hill, someone wants to sell them to me because they don't like him, I'll gladly take him. I've made jokes about that in my leagues before where I've ended up with teams full of like people with criminal records. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, if you're going to give me good value on them just because they suck in real life, I have no issue with it. Because yep. this isn't me supporting them. Like. Come on. Like, I'm not cheering for them as a person or anything. I just want points. I yeah. want to win. <laughs> I I love it when I'm playing in leagues with people who don't want to have assholes in their team. It, it makes it yeah. easier for, for me so to find much. that competitive advantage. Yeah, the uh, person in my league who owned Tyreek back when all that was happening, I remember we made fun of her at the time. She sold Tyreek plus something else and got back uh, DK Metcalf and Brandon Cooks. And we thought that was just a terrible haul. We're like, oh, that's such a horrible trade. Like, you got back this crappy rookie and this, like, guy who only puts up 1,000 yards every season, but we hate for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's Tyreek. You think it's a terrible haul. Yeah. And it was actually after everything had gone resolved and it was clear who was going to be playing again. She's like, I just don't want this guy on my team. Obviously, it worked out for her because... DK turned into basically a top five guy, and Cooks has been going off. Still just but, put up thousand yard seasons for the most part. Yeah, so it's one of those things that worked out. Maybe it was a karma thing that <laughs> she got the better end of it. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. That's just I'm always going to manage my teams just for what they are. It's just a bunch of names with numbers next to them. Yeah, agreed. Think that might be it. I'm scrolling, but. Everyone got a last minute. Oh, yeah. Umaro has asked three times, what did one lawyer say to the other lawyer? And I, No, I don't even want him to type it. Hold on. Let's test out this TDM thing. Is he still here? If if you want to say a punchline, where are you at? I'm going to invite you to the stage. Umaro. Not even in here. Okay, never mind. I was going to invite him to the stage to say He's not it. even online anymore. <laughs> He's Dropped out. We were so mad we didn't answer the question. Yeah. So now we're going to leave this podcast with this fucking the unknown punchline of Umaro's joke. So, yeah. Yeehaw. Bullshit. Got a punchline in there from BA, but I don't want to read that one. <laughs> Dude, we are both lawyers. At the punchline? No, that was with something about you want to go to lunch or meet you in court at a. Le- there was some other some conversation. See you in court uh, at eleven, and then lunch at one. I mean that actually that that is funny because I had a case with a dude where we settled the case, and we had to go to court to tell the judge we settled because we already had a hearing set that day. And so we like went to court together, me and this defense attorney who we had been fighting tooth and nail for months. And we were like mm-hmm. all over each other. And we're just sitting in the courtroom laughing and joking the whole time. And then we got lunch together after yep. because we don't give a Case shit. Is over. Yeah. yeah. We're not enemies anymore. We're just, we're peers. Yeah. Like we agreed to pay each other and now we're done. <laughs> some, some of my best friends are prosecutors. Like that, yeah. that's maybe something people don't know about attorneys is 
look, there are some people I genuinely don't like on the other side because I think they're just a shitty person. Don't get me wrong. But I can fight tooth and nail against somebody for months on end on a case. And as soon as it's done, unless I... If they took a stance that I am morally opposed to the to the point where I think less of them as a person, then then maybe it'll affect it. But if, if I can see why they're taking the stance they're taking, and I'm talking more of a criminal law context here, because I understand that in family law, it's more about what your client wants, and you're just you're literally their microphone. Uh, but if a prosecutor is taking a stance that I find to be reprehensible or offensive or just not my definition of justice, then yeah, I'll, I'll think less of them for that. Uh, but if they, if I understood why they were making the decisions, even if I didn't agree with them, we will absolutely go get drinks after the whole thing is said and done. Uh, because we just went through something together and it probably wasn't easy for them either. So Absolutely. Uh, what is a favorite piece of case law for you guys from BA, Progressively Awake? <laughs> what what I actually case law? Fa- favorite piece of case law? Just what favorite case do you have, I guess? Um, hmm. I mean, I do. I have one I can think of just from law school, which is uh, God, what's the name of it? Stambovsky versus Ackley. It is the case that held that a house was legally haunted. I just remember it coming up in property because we reread it and we were like laughing that the court actually held that for the purpose of the case, they were assuming that like for as a matter of law, the case the house is haunted. Adding on to that, why is it chocolate? What's he? He heard cake. Oh, well, <laughs> I do like chocolate cakes, but I prefer like a mixed chocolate vanilla. Chocolate cake is the worst fucking cake on the planet, and I now judge you, Bryce. It's such a base bitch cake. Get out of here. Okay, then. I guess it I won't answer that. Trace Leche all day long. That is the only time. Oh, Trace Leche is so good. Yeah. Made by someone who really knows how to make it, too. Uh, what did you guys think about Stephen Avery's case from Making a Murderer? That's from Bryce. Was Steve the main character, or the I, the... I, I believe that was the main guy, and like his little, like it was his son that was the other one that got convicted. Ne- nephew or something? Nephew, I don't. Related yeah. to him I, was, uh, I, I remember hating that when I watched it. Yeah, I, I like, did not. I did not finish it because I hated it so much. It was so biased. Yeah. Oh my god, and, it was almost and I was defense at the time and it was still yeah. very biased. Don't get me wrong. Based on what I saw, I thought both of them probably should have received a new trial. Uh but it that is not a full picture of what that investigation and trial showed yeah. from everything I read. Like as soon as you look up like what they left out, it is damning. Mm-hmm. So that that bothered me a lot. And like I watched that with my prosecutor friend. And she could not stop ranting the entire time about it. So that was a lot of fun. I never watched the follow-up. There was like a second one, I think, or a second season. But yeah, I'm, yeah. There, there. Were, I don't remember all the details. It was just remember being bothered by everything. <laughs> so going, I don't know the, I don't know the case law on this one, but there is a great podcast from. It's called In the Dark about the Curtis Flowers case that I think is worth everybody listening to i think it gives a much better picture of some of the things that go wrong in the criminal justice system than making a murder did uh i said making murder do i think you need a new case yeah uh but it was not a full picture 
if you listen to this podcast, it's about this guy who his case was overturned something like seven times, uh, four or five of them in the state Supreme Court, a couple times in the U.S. Supreme Court, where it it just becomes very clear that this small little town in the South had it out for this guy, and it just decided he was the one who committed the murder, even though there's evidence that it was somebody else. Uh, it's worth listening to. I'd say that's probably not the type of case law that Scotty's mentioning. It's not a fun one. It's depressing as fuck, uh, but it's a good listen. Talk about haunted probably houses, man. Reason. Say it again? I can always talk about haunted houses. Yeah, you made a fun answer. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm on my I keep giving fun answers. You're giving like serious shit about like <laughs> criminals and people's lives being ruined. Yeah. You're just depressing, man. My bad. <laughs> You just gotta do civil cases where it's all fun. fun. It, was, it was the case where he tripped getting on the uh, train with the fireworks, and the fireworks went off, yeah. and everyone got burned. There you go. Yeah, That's like my favorite one. Like I told, I mentioned this in chat recently, just like briefly. Was I uh, did a we had a really big police brutality case that didn't go to trial, settled, and we had already prepared our exhibits for trial, which included gigantic blown up autopsy photos that we were going to present to the jury. And they were just like, obviously, it's just giant pictures of a naked dead body. And we just have those sitting in the office and we don't know what to do with them. You don't just want to walk them out of the office and have everybody staring at them. We're like, do we want to throw these in the dumpster? Like, no, that's (laughs) fucked up. What if some kid it? Yeah, we ended up getting one of our like assistants to like cut them up and then we burned them, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Like we had nothing else to do with them, but they were sitting in my boss's office for a solid year before we finally got rid of them. Uh, so Solar asked his standard question, except he labeled it six months instead of a year. I think he did that because I already said my answer to this, and it was in the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, mine would have been uh, a bidet. Life-changing, guys. But what is the favorite thing you've bought over the last six months, Scotty, uh, that cost less than $100? I bought a few kitchen things, probably one of them. I love my air fryer. I got an air fryer probably about six months ago. I fucking love that thing. I make so much stuff in it. And that is a wonderful picture from you in the chat. Thank you. <laughs> uh, my brother got a bidet and just like will not stop telling me about it. I'm like, I do not near here clear how clean your asshole is. But that's Life my brother. Changing. <laughs> changing. Yeah. I got a squatty potty a while back, and that thing's oh, those amazing. are great too. Those are yeah, I, I love, love squatty potties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't, I can't live without it now. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Everything I, it seems like everything I've bought in the last six or so months has been baby related. The baby's not here yet, so I don't know what's good or not good. Uh, so I'm just gonna stick with the day, even though it was a year ago. Uh, let's see, BA asks about any hobbies or interests outside of fantasy football. Uh, Y'all already know this about me for the most part, but uh, gardening, woodworking, and nude yoga. So those are all fun. Uh, I have a lot of interests, honestly. Uh, the one that I think that would be fun that people wouldn't guess about me is I'm really into musical theater. I mm-hmm. fucking love Broadway. I love Broadway, and I've been so upset that it's been closed for the past year. All right, sing us a sn- I'm going to put you on the fucking spot. Hell sing no, us a snippet of your favorite song. Well, I can tell you what my favorite song is. I'm going to sing it. It's I'm Alive from Next to Normal. Love that song. Great song. Very disappointed right now. Yeah. This is 
it's almost like if solar had gotten so close and hinted that we were about to have a big reveal that he's actually a, a you know a dark mode user and then just was like <laughs> what are the odds you know, of that <laughs> i'm gonna give you a payoff now sorry uh yeah i don't i don't sing i just enjoy it okay okay sorry okay if you don't sing when you said you were really into musical theater i thought you meant you were involved in it my bad i used to be when i was younger okay. Uh, I did theater. I actually went to a performing arts-focused middle school. Uh, it was like a magnet school pro- program school. And then when I was in high school, I was in thespians, you know, doing shows all of high school. Then law school, we had the Gilbert and Sullivan Society, which I ended up not doing, but I, like, helped out with tech stuff and hung out with them a lot. But, yeah, it's... I love that stuff. I've always been into theater. I like Shakespeare. I like musical theater. I During law school, I was in D.C. I would literally, every few months, take a bus ride up to New York to see shows. So That's my interest that <laughs> outside of football that people might not guess. Uh, ever walk and stalk any big animals? No. And dogs, lots of dogs. And it, like, like hunt. How big? How big are we talking one. here, Brycey? How is that class? Walk and stalk. Have you ever walked a moose? Dude, what the fuck are these questions? <laughs> Neither of us have any fucking clue. We're talking about. No. We're both from the south, but we don't do that shit. Yeah. I, I... <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a moose in my real life. So. No, I definitely haven't. Uh, in Florida, we just got gators and snakes. Bear would be the the biggest thing that I could think of that might be in Texas. Yeah, I mean, not much in Florida. It's just the gators, but we don't care about the gators. We ignore them. No. Nope. Yeah, we ain't doing actually, that. Actually, however, I'm actually a really good shot with a bow and arrow. But no, I've never walked in stock. I uh, killed a squirrel with a bow and arrow once by accident. <laughs> I like, nailed it, nailed it to the fence. But yeah, that's about it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, I think we're done here. Uh, we're we're talking about walking and stalking, and two southern boys have not done so. Uh, we're going to end on this high note. It's fantastic. And oh, your lawyer leagues okay, are a lot more complicated. Uh, no, just because me and the people in my lawyer's league have known each other for so long, we don't feel a need for like complex written rules. Like, literally, I've been trying to fuck anyone over at this point. Yeah, it's been 10 years we've been doing these leagues together. We're not concerned too much about writing things down. Uh, We know the rules, and Mm -hmm. I, I am a dictator as the commissioner. People don't cross me, a benevolent one, hopefully. Usually. All right. Well, that should be it. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining. Uh, I'm going to ignore everything that people are putting in the chat now. Oh, God. Don't look. It's not worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thank you all for joining us. Thanks. Good luck. Have a good one.